Recorded live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awakening Universal Minds. Uh, my name is Brother Beniti, a.k.a. Brother Michael. Um, also, I have my brothers uh, who will be joining me in a little bit. Uh, we have Brother Sargidi joining us later. We have Brother Ravana Noon joining us in a little bit. Um, before we begin, just a quick announcement. I know for those that tuned in last week, we had technical difficulties uh, with Dr. Jewel Pulkram. She was having difficulties with her, with her phone from where she was calling from. Uh, but just to let everybody know, we rescheduled her to come back on on Thursday, uh, September 3rd. We'll have her back on to, to do it again, and she apologizes for that. So I know a lot of people had tuned in last week, and uh, she was on in the beginning, and then we lost her, and we couldn't get her back on. So just to let everybody know, she'll be back on on Thursday, September 3rd. Tonight we have back with us again uh, another one of our excellent scholars and elders amongst us. Uh, some of you have tuned in in the past on previous shows. We have Dr. Edward Bruce Bynum back with us tonight. Dr. Bynum, how are you doing? I'm doing very good, Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good, great to have you back on this evening. Um, good, good to be back. Great. If uh, you could introduce yourself to those who may not be familiar with you, and as usual, give, you, give a little background about yourself and kind of let it is. Sure. Uh, people to do. Yep. Yeah, my name is Edward Bruce Bynum. I'm a uh, clinical psychologist, um, uh, most recently at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, and now at the uh, Brain Analysis and Neurodevelopment uh, Center there in Hadley, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm a clinical psychologist. My areas and background are, uh, you know, traditional psychotherapy, but I also have a clinical practice in uh hypnosis and computerized biofeedback, essentially specializing in psychosomatic medicine. I have a background and interest, obviously, in uh, dream work. But uh, alongside of that, I have a long and uh, 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 committed uh, interest in uh, the psycho-spiritual traditions of of the world, but in particular of uh, uh, different civilizations of Africa and India, particularly southern India. And I brought those together in a number of books over the years that I've written, hopefully focusing uh, some small light in uh, these areas. And I'm here tonight. Uh, hopefully we can talk about one of the most recent books, is Dark Light Consciousness, Melanin, Serpent Power, and the Luminous Matrix of Reality. But we also may talk about The African Unconscious, a book I wrote uh, a number of years ago. So uh, that's kind of like where we're at, and uh, I'm wide open for what we're going to do this evening. All right, and just to let everybody know, again, as Dr. Bynum mentioned, the different books that he's authored, uh, just to give you a quick glimpse, uh, outside of one of the main ones we'll be focusing on tonight, uh, Dark Light Consciousness, Melanin, Serpent Power, and the Luminous Matrix of Reality. Another great book, as he said, he wrote a few years back, The African Unconscious, it gets very, very deep, especially you know, onto the essence of, of Egyptian and African culture. Uh, Why Darkness Matters, another great book, The Roots of Transcendence, The Family Unconscious, Families and the Interpretation of Dreams. Um, you can also get Dr. Bynum's book, uh, innertraditions.com, is where you can purchase his books directly. They are also, pretty much majority of them are available on Amazon.com. Uh, they're also available on eBay uh, for those that Read the e-books. He is, most of his books are also available on Kindle, um, so there's plenty of digital uh, media formats of his books available. Um, so just to let people know, the stuff we're talking about tonight will be in uh, most of his work that he's put out over the years, and you definitely have access to purchase them. Um, if I missed anything, Dr. Bynum, 
you'd like to add in there, a uh, specific website, feel free. Uh, no, I think you covered everything. I, I do have a website called um, um, the Obelisk Foundation, like the, uh, the word obelisk, well, the whole obelisk foundation is one word, obeliskfoundation.com. And there, there's a, a listing of each one of the books, but also hopefully some integration of those because this is something I've been uh, committed to for uh, more than half of my life. And uh, the most recent book is really sort of the fifth uh, in this uh, series, but it's about our uh, our uh, spiritual traditions from the earliest civilizations on Earth, uh, which, as we know, uh, all are in uh, Africa and, uh, in particular, uh, the eastern part of Africa, which includes uh, ancient Kemetic Egypt and... Um, uh, Kush or in Abyssinia, that part of the world, in addition to the southern parts of uh, India or Dravidian India. And that's where many of the world's spiritual traditions have their deepest uh, roots. Traditions, by the way, that we practice today. Right. right. Can you spell that website again just so the listeners heard it? Can you spell the correct spelling of that website one more time? Oh, yes. It's uh, Foundation. spelled O B. E L I S Q F O U N D A T I O N dot com. I like the word obelisk and the word foundation, which we'll is put those two together with a, uh, three W's in front of them and a dot, and you got it. All right. Or if, All you, right. Just ty- or if you just type in my name, it'll, that'll come up there also. Okay, and also there you there is a series of uh, different lectures that you can find of Dr. Bynum also on YouTube that he's done over the years. If you just type in his name, anything that is available on YouTube of some of the lectures he's done in the past will, will also come up. So what I wanted to do tonight, Dr. Bynum, um, I want to focus because I know we've, we've focused a, a lot on the end portion of the book, but there's a lot of science in the first three portions of the book. I kind of want to get into detail. But something that you said before we begin, you mentioned dream work. I, I, I want to kind of talk about that real quick first, if we could. Can can you explain exactly what dream work is? Yes. Uh, uh, dream work, at least uh, dream work these days, means essentially uh, something that you might do uh, primarily in the office of a, uh, a psychotherapist who would use your uh, experiences at night of dreaming as a as a place to explore what is going on for you consciously and unconsciously. Um, however, dream work is also uh, something that people who are intense uh, artists practice, not necessarily being in some form of psychotherapy, and also uh, in some religious uh, spiritual practices, uh, uh, dream work is an intimate part of the exploration of, uh, of consciousness. So those are the three areas today. In the ancient world, of course, particularly in ancient uh, Egypt, Kemet, um, dream work was practiced uh, in the temples of Per Ankh, and it was part of the uh, your training, initiation mm-hmm. into the, quote, seven uh, lively arts, unquote. And those were the fundamental disciplines of the ancient world, which only later found their expression in Greece and Rome, and somehow Greece and Rome got the... Um, the credit for those, uh, you know, the, quote, seven lively arts. But those are actually all indigenous or arose in ancient Egypt, the study of geometry, mathematics, biology, and uh, 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 astronomy, and so forth. 
Okay. Now, I'm very, very interesting that you mentioned uh, going back to ancient Kemet and some of, some of our ancient cultures, how, how dream, dream work, in essence, was a prequisite for some of these spiritual masters to learn. It's, it's kind of a popular thing when, when dealing spiritually. How, how, not just our personal dreams, but how does that, because you, you mentioned it's a, it's a connection and it has an aspect to do with our spiritual consciousness. How much of an impact do our dreams shape our spirituality, in, in speaking in reference to dreams? Our dreams have an enormous uh, influence on our spirituality, and our spirituality profoundly affects the dynamics and the nature and the content of our dreams. You know, you, it, it would be impossible to say which comes uh, first. You know, it's like chicken and the egg. But right. uh, clearly, uh, our, our deepest uh, primordial experiences of uh, life and death and relationships and struggles and triumphs and so forth get expressed on the canvas of our dream life. Right. And then we live during the day, and then what we do during the day is then turn, turns around and is incorporated into our dreams. And then in turn, our dreams affect what we do during the day. So it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, but uh, certainly in West Africa, in Kemetic Egypt, um, uh, Nubia, and Dravidian India, there were uh, uh, whole disciplines devoted to uh, dreaming. And in fact, after about three to 5,000 years of, uh, of uh, intense clinical-level dream work in ancient uh Kemetic Egypt, it moved up to around the Mediterranean area of the world, and from about 500 B.C. before the Common Era to 500 years uh, after Christ, about a thousand-year reign, there were these sleep temples built upon the ancient Egyptian models all around the uh, Mediterranean, the, the great sleep uh, temples, and that is where uh, the Oracle of Delphi and uh, a lot of the sleep temples and ways of consciously entering into the dream state uh, for physical and emotional healing uh, mm. occurred. And right. uh, that, was, that, was the, that was one of the dominant modes of clinical healing and, 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 and philosophical and uh, moral insight for a thousand years. And then uh, it went into decline uh, with, with the ascendancy of certain aspects of the uh, Roman uh, church, and it went underground. And it certainly it went underground in Europe but it also went underground uh, to a certain extent in Africa and uh, migrated also over into many of the spiritual uh, practices of West Africa and potential, and, 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 uh, 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 especially, I should say, which is why there's so much emphasis in the West African traditions on uh, dreams and um, things that can be done by dreams because we know now, clinically, we know now that uh, uh, you can consciously enter into a dream while you are dreaming and be and wake up and still be dreaming, which is, right. which indicates a different level or state of uh, consciousness. And right. this is exactly what many of the healers, uh, shamans, and uh, high priests in many world traditions—not only uh, Africa, but world traditions—have a high, highly evolved technology for doing so. So right. we see it mostly today in the in the clinician's uh, doctor's office, but this is an ancient uh, tradition, and it reaches its peak in certain parts of the uh, globe and civilization uh, at the various times in history. Right. Um, so something interesting that, that just just sparked by what you were just relaying. Uh, speaking in 
different philosophies of consciousness. Um, in that regards to, to dream work and its connection, okay, they, they, there's some people that have termed the, the consciousness uh, or the conscious mind. Uh, then we have the subconscious and what they call the superconscious, which some lay claim to being our higher selves or, or our higher connection to spirituality. Now, some say the, the uh, subconscious pretty much feeds off the conscious mind, but the super, and it's kind of sandwiched in between the conscious and the superconscious mind. The question I have, the, what we do in, in so-called what we relate as a conscious state, things that we seem to be aware of consciously we do on a regular basis, how does that, how does that affect and shape these dreams that we might have on a daily basis? And are we able through these dreams to tap into that superconscious mind or that higher self? Well, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, you, let's say uh, you have a, a number of experiences uh, today and uh, yesterday and the day before, the last uh, three days or so. If you were to examine your dreams, you would find some aspect of what you've done in the last three days appear in your dream. Now, sometimes it appears very clearly. Sometimes it will appear in a, in a contorted, uh, slightly distorted, uh, and surprisingly sometimes symbolic way. But what is called day residue, what's, what's happened the last three days, usually appears in what's called our dream work. And, okay. Uh, and, uh, and so one of the things that you can do in a clinician's office is work sort of passively with those dreams, what they mean, what they symbolically say about your relationships in the world, also what they say about your physical body, because many times a dream will telegraph a physical illness before right. you actually physically experience it. So there are all right. of those things that you can do. Uh, and that is sort of a passive working with the dream. A more active working with the dream, which is uh, something that uh, is, is, is particular to some uh, West African traditions, is where you do disciplines to consciously enter into the dream. That is, in other words, to awaken while asleep, while the dream is happening, and then right. interact it and change phenomena, change experiences, in that, it's, 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 it would be akin to you watching a movie and then being able to uh, get up into the movie screen and change what's going on in the movie. Wow. The mind is capable of doing that, and it doesn't have to be particularly highly disciplined. It just has to be sort of alert. And you have to find a way, some symbolic thing that appears or uh, repetitive thing that appears in your dreams, and you remind yourself that, you know, next time that that happens, you'll ask yourself reflexively, am I dreaming? A common right. example. A common right. example would be if you notice um, uh, in your dreams birds for whatever reason. It doesn't really matter. But birds right. happen to appear in your dreams. Well, then you can uh, create a discipline where every time you see a bird in a waking state, you ask yourself just off the top, you know, is this a dream? Is this a dream? 99% of the time it will be... It will not be a dream. But every now and then, you'll see that bird, and you're asking yourself, is this a dream? And it will be manifestly clear to you, yes, I am dreaming. You have just entered what's called lucidity. Okay, lucid dream. Lucid dream. And this is very important because um, in the transformation of consciousness, in the not only today, but in the ancient traditions, learning how to recognize your deeper self at certain times, and then transforming it is is crucial to your spiritual development. 
in the Egyptian Book of the Dead called the Papyrus of Ani or the Book of the Coming Forth by Light. It has different translations. But the point is, there are several chapters in there on what the disembodied spirit, i.e. the deceased, various things happen to them. For them to be able to recognize that helps them then transform their consciousness. And there are explicit, explicit clinical chapters on transferring and transforming oneself into a bird of, uh, of light or a being of light. And this is echoed in the, in the Tibetan uh, books of uh, what's called the Bardo Throdol or the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Uh, it's the right. same phenomenon of learning how to recognize oneself in unfamiliar surroundings, gain conscious control over that, and then in the process transform your consciousness. And if you learn how to do that while you are still alive and embodied, then when you inevitably, as we all do, pass out of this life, instead of running from the great light that appears, you will learn how to merge into it. And that is a great accomplishment. Now, that light, which we're going to get into, we're going to get into melanin in the, in the first section of the book. But real quick on that note, since you compared that aspect in, from a clinical aspect of, of dream work and, and let's say a spiritual or cultural aspect, like you said, if you go back into our different cultures, whether it's India, different parts of a- Africa, there's many different takes on interpretation of dreams is what I want to talk about real quick. Now, I know there's certain methods how some of the high priests and elders and masters of these past cultures were trained in dream interpretation. Now, from a clinical perspective, obviously people have their opinion on this. If somebody, per se, is having a dream, they say sometimes it's symbolic, meaning if you're dying a death in a dream, it may not mean a physical death. It might mean, like you say, uh, going through some type of transformation or change. From a clinical perspective, how does one, and since you're in that field and that's your profession, if somebody's having, say, intense dreams and they're not able to decipher the meanings of these dreams, from a clinical perspective, how, how do you go about explaining things of that nature to an individual that might be going through that? Well, clinically, what you try to do is not impose your interpretation of those symbolic uh, experiences with your patient. What you try to do is get your client, your patient, to figure out what their own internal uh, symbolism world is. Like, uh, let's say you and I both dream of a, um, of a, uh, let's say a bicycle. Okay. Well, my the symbolic meaning of a bicycle to me may be. Uh, you know, riding on the uh, weekend and the and the first vehicle of freedom, let's say, that I was given as a child uh, to ride up and down the streets of L.A. and everything else where I grew up. And it has those delightful times to me. For you, the symbolic meaning of a bicycle is the first time, let's say, um, you uh, um, bought a bicycle um, when you were uh, in college. And right. this became a, uh, an intense thing for you, and you became a, a world-class bicyclist, okay? Now, there would be some similarity in what our symbolism of the bicycle is, but my symbol of a bicycle is not exactly the same as yours. So the, the job of a therapist is not to impose and say, open up page 47 of this book and say, bicycle, dream, that's what it means. No, 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 no. It's to find out what the internal language and symbolism of you is, such that that bicycle's dream in a makes sense in terms
terms of your inner world. Correct. There are certain, there are certain universals. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There are right. certain inner universals. But it's best to try and figure out what it means specifically uh, in the world of that particular person you're working with. And it makes it much more intimate, much more personal, and much more emotionally true. Right, and I'm glad, and I'm glad you said that because I wanted you to give the flip side to it because we get a lot on the show um, when dealing with spirituality or consciousness. And, you know, I always tell people be careful of that because especially what you just said, uh, unfortunately you do have some people out there in the conscious community that they will literally, like you said, give their interpretation of the dream. And I, and I do think it's a more detailed aspect, as you just explained, because it's hard to put your personal spin on it when you haven't had the experience. So that, that kind of clarifies a lot. I'm glad you explained that. And whole people listening that have had questions in relation to that, or you might have some questions when we open up the calls with Dr. Bynum, the excellent questions to ask. All right, so what I want to do, Dr. Bynum, in the beginning of the book, real, I think this is really key. I don't know, we've never even addressed the very first part of the book. If you could explain, because dark light consciousness, if you can explain in the very first chapter, in the very first part of the book, the, the perennial science of how darkness unfolds the light. We see this, like, for example, in the Bible, there's hidden terms of this science. Like it says, the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth the not, et cetera, et cetera. What exactly is the science of how darkness unfolds the light or, or dark light? Well, the way I approached it, the way I approached it uh, was very simple and very concrete. I started with simple medical um, uh, examples in the medical biological basis of this and that is if you um the in in human genesis um literally in the, the in the womb um a few days after uh the egg and the sperm uh unite you have a certain kind of phenomenon begins to happen and you have a certain cell uh, processes that happen uh such that eventually slowly a uh a tiny, tiny uh, fetus begins to develop. Well, that fetus develops based on a a phenomenon in which there are a number of specialized cells within that blastula uh, that are are, uh, composed of of a particular kind of melanin. And as it develops, Mm. it elongates. And as it elongates or gets longer, gradually the fetus begins to unfold like a, a, a complex pattern out of that ball or that blastula, and it is directed by a current of, uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, made up of uh, the, the flow of uh, energy along the melanin conduit. So it's mm-hmm. a flow of light, it's a flow of energy along a dark line. So I started that basis, a very physical, very medical basis for that, and then I uh, sort of uh, tried to uh, develop that further as it goes along, uh, basing it first simply on embryology and medicine, and then gradually out of that how the brain uh, develops out of the spinal cord and uh, then different aspects of the brain. But all of that is guided by a current of living energy, and that current mm-hmm. is supplied in its uh, most fundamental level um, by the uh, complex processes of melanin. Melanin, because it is dark, in every human being, in every mammal, and every primate, it's got absolutely nothing to do with race. What melanin does, because it's dark, it absorbs photons, it absorbs light. Mm. And two, it absorbs it and transduces it to more complex levels of expression. 
So I don't know yeah. why it does, but it does. And that is that is true. And so out of the darkness light becomes more and more complex and subtle. And that is the that is the basis of our genesis and our embryology. And mm. so that continues to happen throughout. So that's that's on the inner inner side of us. Okay? That's right. the warm dark matter that, that develops our our bodies and our eventually allows the temp, our consciousness to express itself. On the right. other side, on the outside of the on the cosmic side, the universe itself that we know of now, the universe itself is primarily unseen. It's primarily composed of what's called cold dark matter. Ninety three percent of the universe is made up of matter that we don't see. It's dark right. matter. And it is the light that we see only that it emerges out of that darkness. And we don't even really know what that is, but it's a cold, dark matter, and it's in parallel, from my point of view, to the warm, dark matter of our uh, biological and embryological and neurological development. So for me, it's a, it's a nice poetic balance or dance between the cold, dark matter of the universe and the warm, dark matter of our uh, genesis. And these two, in my worldview anyway, sort of, uh, parallel uh, and uh, unfold each other, or I should say, the uh, the universe unfolds us. Right, that's powerful because all right. So this energy or this light in dealing with the inner melanin or the neuromelanin. I know later on down in the book we'll get into the uh, neuromelanin of the brainstem. How important is it then for one if this is us receiving this energy or or this melanin is a receptor for this light or this energy? What can one do to keep that melanin? We're talking about the inner melanin now, just so there's no confusion. What can one do to keep that melanin functioning correctly? What are things, I know there's various, but can you kind of share with the listeners? Because that, that, what you just explained is very important because if that inner component is not working, then that individual is going to have, uh, I guess, some issues or blockages down the road in, as far as dealing with consciousness or spirituality. Well, that's true, and if in, the first, if, it, if in the very early stages it doesn't work appropriately, then the fetus is aborted, and therefore, you, you know, nothing happens. Right. Um, but in the case of a fetus that uh, comes all the way out and hopefully is healthy, um, if, throughout your life, what you can do is actually very simple and very basic. <laughs> you know, it sounds simple, but you basically uh, try to eat a normal, healthy, uh, balanced diet, you have uh, keep yourself physically healthy, and you find some way to periodically not only educate your mind, but also quiet your mind. I, I, can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Learn how to quiet your mind so that the natural unfolding, which is inherent within you, uh, has as few blockages as possible. As few blockages as possible. That right. is the best way to do that. And finally, uh, a, a spiritual discipline that resonates with you. It can be there are innumerable different spiritual methodologies around the world. You have to find one that's in tune with you. That's that's the critical thing. It has to be in tune with you, not what someone else imposes on you. You've got to learn how to read your own heart, your own soul. But in doing so, you find a, a discipline or a series of disciplines that resonate with you, and those in your particular lineage will help you unfold this natural process that's going on. You see, the unfoldment of neuromelanin in the uh, brain is the continuation, at least from my point of view, the continuation of the evolutionary process. 
People seem to think that evolution somehow has now stopped. We've evolved to here, and that's it. No more. No, 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 no. It is an ongoing process, and our spiritual development is a manifestation of the ongoing uh, unfoldment of evolution itself. Just like civilization continues to unfold and, de- and, and evolve, and um, certainly we're more complex civilization than we were, say, five thousand uh, years ago. Maybe right. not fifteen thousand years ago. These things do come and go in cycles, as you know. But certainly over the last four to five thousand years, there's been an increasing complexity in civilization across the uh, continent, across the right. different continents. So it's much the same with us too. We used to be a much more primitive uh, uh, species, uh, you know, uh, 300, 500,000 years ago. We've continued to evolve, and now we have moved from uh, a primitive form of Australopithecines all the way through different kind of various uh, Homo sapiens until we are now uh, uh, Homo sapiens sapiens, thinking man. Some people would say, no, it's a whole different creature. No, I, my intuition is that it's the same being behind the creature that continues to evolve. Now, that's me. That's not science. That's me saying that. Right. No, I mean, it may, definitely makes sense. Some good key points. Uh, okay, and now in the, in, as we go through the book, then you, you and this is important, too, and I don't, I don't think, it's just, this is just my opinion, I don't think enough of people focus on this area, study the effect as you get into the uh, aspect in your book about the anatomy of the earth and, and its connection to the human nervous system. And now the importance of our nervous system, that, when that goes down, we obviously we know what kind of problems can arise from the, the human nervous system being disrupted or having a nervous breakdown. But can you explain from a, from a uh, medical and a scientific aspect the importance of the anatomy of the earth in its conjunction and connection with the human nervous system? Yeah, so what I was trying to do in that first chapter was show the, co- the, co- uh, the uh, correspondence between the unfoldment not only of our uh, nervous system, but also our uh, the, the spirituality uh, of our uh, innate system uh, and its relationship to the earth. In particular, break it down in particular, um, uh, everybody listening now has seen uh, or heard of a medical caduceus. That's the that's the, 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 the physician symbol where you have a, a staff or a pole. It's called the staff of Hermes, but it's much more older than that. And then you have two twin serpents sort of crawling up around it, and they meet in seven points until they reach the top. Okay? That is, a, that is literally not only a symbol, but it's an anatomical description, underline the word description, of the, of the spiritual process uh, across different uh, cultural interpretations of it. You find the same symbol in West Africa. You find the same symbol, obviously, in ancient Kemetic Egypt, where it was where it originated. You find it in Dravidian India. You find it in Greece and Rome. I mean, you find it in South America. It is a a, a, a biological phenomenon that people can feel, and then they found a way to externally express it symbolically. So it's international. It's international. Well, those two uh, serpents are sort of spiraling, spiraling up this pole until they reach the top. And then where they meet, when they reach the top, they're no longer uh, serpents of energy. They become a bird and they take flight. Literally, they take spiritual flight. So there is a twisting or a curving up along the spinal line. Well, there's also a twisting and a curving 
within the core of the earth itself that people in deep meditation literally, literally tune into. The core of the earth, the core of our earth, is a solid mass of dense nickel and other uh, metals, but it's solid. And then around it is a molten uh, level of iron. And in this iron that's that's molten, uh, you have huge convection waves of electromagnetic energy meeting with enormous forces of gravitation. When this is uh, where the electromagnetic force and the gravitational force meet is in the core of the Earth. Well, that inner core is spinning somewhat faster than the molten lava. And when it spins like that, it creates a kind of twist or torque. And it's like a torque in the car, torque on a on a, uh, a screw, there's a torque there. And in deep states of meditation, you can actually feel that core tor- uh, torque. And visualizing it certainly helps it a great deal. And when finally, when what's called the Uraeus or the Kundalini energy that you find in every tradition being spoken of, it's spoken of as that energy sort of moving up that spinal line and energy moving up from the center of the earth which is why many of our uh, 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 elders and seers uh, talk about energies uh, being released at the core of the earth, which they um, help uh, not only touch, but help others in their healing process. So when I'm uh, listening to one of my elders uh, or reading one of them talking about this, I pay close attention because uh, it is an experience that is available to every one of us. And uh, most of us have some experience of it, but we're not necessarily consciously aware of it. It's more of a subliminal uh, experience because we're not generally trained to pay attention to it. It's just sort of like on the uh, on the outer rims of our consciousness. And that's not because it's illegal. It's just that uh, the powers that be in our cultural uh, motifs prefer that we not pay attention to it. Right. Very important. Uh, I'm going to bring in my, my, my good brother. I know, Ravana, I know you've been listening. Uh, brother Sargate, you've been listening. Uh, so I'm going to bring in you, Brother Ravana, I know you probably got some questions for Dr. Bynum. Uh, yeah. Uh, good evening, Dr. Bynum. How are you today? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, I'm just looking here on page 13 of your book, and um, it's very interesting because it says, much of their wisdom sleeps behind our psychological fear of the darkness. From your um, research and and time, why do you feel uh, that darkness is considered so evil in this or so bad or so something negative in this day and time, but it seemed like the ancients dealt a lot with darkness as far as their initiations and rituals and things of that nature? Well, our fear of the darkness is primarily uh, rooted in our uh, cultural historical uh, battles over the last uh, five to 700 years in the West. I mean, the ancient Kemetic Egyptians, they're, um, uh, uh, they, they uh, used very much uh, 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 black and uh, light as part of their spiritual process. The tip of the uh, Great Pyramid was a black capstone, okay? It was a black capstone, and it absorbed light from literally, quote, the heavens, unquote, and brought it down into the Great uh, great Pyramid. Uh, all the great gods of ancient Kemet were very dark-skinned. Osiris was the god of the underworld. When they looked into the heavens, 
They saw touches of, of light all over the heavens, but they also knew that in the background was a great and holy darkness. Okay? And uh, in their spiritual rites, they would go into trance state and they would literally surrender the light of their individual consciousness and merge it with the dark, unseen light. You see, light, dark light is paradoxical. Dark light is paradoxical. Uh, most of the energy in the universe uh, and the matter uh, in the universe is energy, but it's dark. But it's still energy. It's still energy, and it's light that we don't perceive. Okay? And so uh, that is, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, in uh, Islam, uh, the, the black stone that has fallen in Mecca is another example of that. And there are examples of that all over the earth. So in the ancient world, uh, black, which absorbed light, was considered good. Then we had the wars. Uh, most recently, uh, the wars of um, uh, after Africa had it, uh, 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 risen and fallen and risen and fallen several times. Well, the last wave uh, was of Africans um, uh, with the uh, Islamic uh, wave sweeping up out of North Africa into Europe. And uh, it happened before, but the last one was that. And then after 1492, the uh, uh, Moors uh, were driven out of uh, the Iberian Peninsula, and um, the great fear of the black and the dark, uh, the black Moors and so on and so forth, became part of European um, history. There was a fear of it. And so you get the, all of a sudden uh, uh, superstitions about the, quote, black cat, unquote, or, uh, quote, the black plague, or, quote, the black death, and so on and so forth. And the fear in, in uh, England of the black Moors. I mean, so black became a negative thing, largely primarily for political, economic reasons. And then when you had the slave trade, you got the slave trade, it took off in a bigger, bigger way even than that. And then finally, uh, in the last uh, 400 years or so, um, in the Western world, uh, black became associated with downtroddenness. And this was a reversal of 10,000 years of history. This is only the last 400 years or so that this has been uh, the case. And you find that consciousness took taken over the world because by that time things had become more global and so to control the uh, dark the black other was politically and economically uh, a, a thing that one had to do and so uh, this is the legacy that we're slowly moving away from slowly moving away from so that's, that's why that's from my point of view from my point of view uh, that's what that is largely about. It's rooted in a political economic struggle of the last 400 years, but it has not, underline the word, not been the predominant way the world has seen it. And that includes uh, uh, Europe. In ancient uh, Greece and ancient Rome, um, the, the, there was absolutely nothing wrong with being black. Absolutely nothing. I mean, uh, the Romans had great respect for Hannibal, a <laughs> black Carthaginian. Enormous respect for him. He conquered Rome and uh, ruled it for uh, 10 years. The uh, ancient, uh, some of the great religions of uh, ancient Rome, of Isis, it was a black Madonna. That's where that symbolism comes from. And so they had black Madonna cults in downtown uh, Rome. 
and certainly uh, the same in Greece. So, so the whole notion of race as we think of it today was alien. People had differences and so on and so forth, but it wasn't about the way we think of, quote, race, unquote, today. That's a relatively recent invention in order to keep certain political and economic uh, forces uh, under control. Um, thanks for that. Also, on page 19, you say that uh, our belief is that the vibratory states of melanin and neuromelanin in the brain and nervous system provide the physical template for an awakened mind, an awakened consciousness. And then from there, you lead into how that connects into um, the shining ones and the luminous ones. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little further? Uh, yes. Uh, in the uh, I, I try to... Uh, and it's a bit uh, uh, tedious in places, but I, I felt I needed to do this because I wanted to establish very strongly a medical and scientific foundation for what we're talking about here so that we, we can't be simply dismissed. There is a medical and scientific basis for how melanin in our nose, various places in the turbinates of the nose, melanin in the eye, melanin in our tactile uh, sensory areas, uh, translates uh, or I should say um, uh, um, modulates the actual sensation that we are experiencing in that area. Melanin in the uh, ear stimulates various places uh, 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 in the auditory uh, system so that we can literally hear. It is the same phenomenon when we uh, visually see the rods and cones and so forth. I, talk, I go into great detail about uh, that I do the same thing uh, in reference to melanin in certain areas in the ventricles of the uh, brain. This is to establish that melanin uh, is part of the vibratory communication system. It is so intimately and deeply woven in us as a species. It's got nothing to do with race. Woven into us as a species in an intimate sort of way in all of our sensory uh uh, organ uh, systems. And so it is the foundation or the template or the background for when our vibration increases um, in intensity uh, such that it affects our uh, conceptual cognitive uh, processes in our, uh, in our brain. And so that's what I meant by um, it is the physical template for an awakened mind or an awakened consciousness. When the vibration is sufficient, uh, then one moves from our current normative state of consciousness to a more elevated state. And those are the uh, the shining ones or the luminous ones of our ancient uh, history uh, throughout the earth, not only in ancient Kemet uh, and West Africa and Dravidian India, but also in uh, Europe and Tibet and other places uh, in South America and so forth. Every Every culture, every large culture has a tradition of this because it is a biologically based uh, phenomenon. And I, I, I still am a little, uh, well, not a little. I'm still, I'm, I'm actually still um, uh, uh, not feeling good that our medical and scientific community, uh, and our, and I, quite frankly, our uh, African American intellectual and uh, conscious community hasn't uh, awakened uh, to this simple medical and biological and anatomical. Uh, reality. And why? Because I believe that melanin still has a certain aura. When you, when you say the word, that people make, it makes people nervous. 
I can mention that, and people get nervous. They think they're going to have a racial confrontation. Couldn't be further from that. This is a biological uh, phenomenon rooted in the template of every human being walking on planet Earth. Um, also, when you start getting more into the to the neural melanin aspects in uh, chapter one, um, you you mentioned that neural melanin in the higher nervous system and brain, uh, with its growing capacity for receptivity and absorption of quantum or photons of light. Um, okay, my question is: Is there a way to? Uh, I know. I need to kind of ask this a little early, but is there a way to enhance neuromelanin um, through, like, spiritual techniques, or do you uh, have to do, uh, like, you know, physical techniques along with it? Just Well, you have to do physical techniques along with it, but uh, the, the one of the first ones is to have a relatively healthy, I know I, I, I repeated this before, but it's really important to have a relatively healthy uh body, a healthy diet, and a healthy lifestyle. You don't have to be a fanatic. You don't have to go out on some limb to do that. But everybody here knows what a basically a good diet is. Everybody knows what that is. Um, and uh, um, a time for your mind to get uh, quiet. Um, this is very, very important. And then when you do, uh, then you're able to perceive and see things um, that you would not have ordinarily seen before. I'll give you a very concrete example. I'll give you a very concrete example. Um, if you went out tonight, uh, uh, I don't know where you might be right now, but if you are not in the uh, middle of a, if you're in the middle of a city and you go out at night and you look up at the sky, you will notice that that the sky is full of stars. Okay, on a clear night. All right. And they might be all scattered all over the place, and you don't particularly see any big pattern. Maybe you notice the Big Dipper. Maybe you notice the North Star. But most of it is just, you know, uh, a stellar uh, 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 scatter of light. But if you were, had been a stargazer for a, a long time, that this is a tradition in your family, and you had lived out in the countryside and educated yourself for this and been educated for this, you would be able to look up at the night sky and be able to pick out constellations, stars, movements, and so forth. And it's not because your eyes are necessarily any better than the person in the city, but rather they are focused and trained. You don't have as much distortion of light from other places when you're out in the countryside. And it's just the same organ is better able to pick up stuff in that situation where it has been trained than it has been in the other. So that's what I'm trying to sort of uh, bring to light. All right. Thanks for that. And uh, Brother Asar, are you on the call? No, he had to step away, Brother Ravonanu. He stepped away. All right. Um, I was just asking because I know he has questions. Okay. Well, what we could do now is we could uh, go ahead and uh, we got some callers uh, waiting to talk to Dr. Bynum. Uh, again, if you're listening online, we're going to go to the phones in about a minute. Uh, if you're listening online, you can go ahead and type in your questions, and we'll forward them over to Dr. Bynum. Um, I'm going to go to the phone again. As you know, if you tune in, some people are just registered by state. We have people on in the same state. So if I call a state and that's your location, just speak up, you will be heard. Another important element that some people keep forgetting to do, 
unmute your phone if you have it muted because if you forgot that you muted it, you won't be able to we won't be able to hear you talk. You'll be able to hear me, but we won't be able to hear you talk. Uh, and if we had, if I do plug in on, on the phone and you're just listening, just just go ahead and say I'm just listening, but just acknowledge uh, that we plugged in and just say just listening or, or, or comment. So, again, if you have a question for Dr. Bynum, uh, if you have a comment, uh, feel free. So let's go to the phone. First call that we have, let's go to uh, California. We have somebody on the call from California. Go ahead, California, you're on the call. Hello, California. Can you hear me? Hello? Am I on the call? Yes. You are on the call. You have a question for Dr. Byron? Go ahead. Yes, actually I did. Um, I just wanted to ask them. I just picked up the book, um, Dark Consciousness, the Kindle version. And uh, so far it's been a good read. I've only been to um, about half of the first chapter. But I wanted to know in regards to dream work, would you recommend seeing um, someone who does um, psychotherapy or psychosis therapy um, to enhance the dream work that I'm doing at home already? Would you? Uh, your your line is breaking yeah. up a little bit. Yeah, you have some. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if you have wind or you're driving, but there there seems to be wind or some some distortion kind of bringing you in and out. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm driving. Sorry. Okay, can you hear me, um, like, a little bit better now? That's, yeah. That's good, Danny. Yep. Okay. Okay, so my question was um, in regards to, like, dream work. Is seeing um, someone who does the type of work that you do, like a psycho psychotherapy or psychotherapy? therapy, would you recommend seeing someone who specializes in that field to help um, in regards to, to my dream work, or should I just um, continue you know, practicing my dream work on my own. Well, if, is there, if, if there is not an emotional uh, 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 difficulty that you happen to be going through, and everybody does from time to time, but if there is no uh, emotional or family or other crisis, then there's no necessarily a reason to see a psychotherapist for this. You can do a lot of uh, reading on your own, one. Two, you can keep a dream journal yourself, which allows you to notice uh, certain repetitive patterns that come up repeatedly in your dreams. And three, by doing those two uh, together and committing yourself to uh, you know, a personal study of these, there's a great deal that you can learn about your dreams and dream work uh, by self-education, reading others, and discussing your dreams with people and writing them uh, down. You don't necessarily have to go to a clinician or a doctor uh, for that. I mean, I'm, I'm one myself. I do that, but I don't necessarily, you know, not everything, certainly not everything that you do associated with a dream has something to do with something that's a crisis or something going on. So right, I'm, right. Kind of, I'm, I'm kind of conservative about that. I, I think if people go to uh, clinicians and doctors of one kind or another, they should have a hopefully a sense that, uh, you know, there's something that... Um, requires the uh, insight of a clinician or a uh, doctor, uh, but if they're not ill, uh, there's no reason to go to a doctor. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, that was mm-hmm. my only question, so I will well, continue I... listening. Good show. Okay, great, and then drive safely now. Thank yeah. you, thank you. All right, thanks. Thanks for the call out there in California. Uh, Dr. Bynum, a question online. Somebody wants you to touch on, uh, since we're talking about the beginning of the book, I believe this is, hold on one second, in chapter, 
Um, I believe it's in chapter one, I want to say, the end, towards, yeah, the end, end of chapter one, uh, the trans-dimensional self and the mobile center of consciousness. Somebody wants to if you could elaborate a little bit more on that. Uh, yes. Um, I tried uh, in the beginning of that uh, chapter to lay the foundation, the medical and physical foundation for uh, uh, the relationship between light and the physical body. Then gradually talked about uh, melanin and neuromelanin as uh, transducers of the energy of certain aspects of the body um, and physically why that is the case and put that on a, hopefully on a sound uh, medical and neurological basis. Then uh, we talked about um, um, different aspects of the body as they get more and more uh, subtle and, um, and, and, and energetic. Um, and then um, gradually that moved over into um, how uh, uh, neuromelanin is a reflection or an interface between uh, different levels of uh, matter. There's a section in there that you alluded to, dark matter and the subtle body. And what I tried to do was uh, construct, at least from my uh, uh, narrow perspective, how those uh, two dynamisms uh, interact um, with each other. Uh, the subtle body is a notion, a concept, and an experience taken from esoteric psychology, from meditative psychology, and also some aspects of uh, medicine. And, of course, dark matter is a, a, a reality that has been discovered by the uh, physicists, particularly the, the, uh, uh, the astrophysicists and the cosmologists. So, uh, again, we're going back to that earlier notion that we talked about tonight of the interface between the warm, dark matter that uh, is part of the intimate evolution of our nervous system and our bodies while in our mother's womb and then beyond, and the interface with the cold, dark matter that comprises 97% of the universe that we currently uh, uh, know about. Um, and that subtle or energy body is intimately related to our spiritual uh, process uh, much later um, uh, throughout the book. But I tried in those chapters to set that on a, on a firm scientific uh, and medical basis, and I do believe that uh, that is one of the strengths of the book. It, 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 it's heavily referenced um, and for some people, I know that that can sound, feel kind of ties them down. But I wanted the reader to really have a clear sense of where this comes from, and they can then go check it out for themselves. They can go check it out for themselves. And the stronger that is, then later on, it makes a more solid foundation for the work that we are talking about. Right. Okay. Appreciate that answer, and I hope that answers your question from our online listener. Uh, let's go to the phone. I believe we got Brother Jack Charles calling from West Palm Beach, Florida. What's going on, Brother Jack? Brother Jack, you there? I don't know if you can't hear me. Brother Jack, are you there? All right, let's go to the next call. All right, let's go to East Maryland. East Maryland, you're on the call. Do you have a question for Dr. Biden? Go ahead. East Maryland, you're on the call. Can you hear me, East Maryland? I'm just listening. Okay, thank you. Well, I'm glad right, you're listening. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we uh, we get that delayed response, Doctor Biden. All right, let's go. Uh, good question from online. 
we're going to jump up a little bit to the next chapter since, again, I'm trying to focus on the first three sections and portions of the book. And keep in mind, listeners, if, I know most of the people now or a lot of the listeners have the book. As you know, it's a, it's a very detailed book, so it's kind of hard to get through every section of it. Uh, sometimes it leads to other dynamics of the book, and we jump around a little bit. Uh, but in the third chapter, the, uh, actually chapter four, the very beginning, uh, they want to know if you can uh, touch on uh, eye evolution and the, and the pineal gland, um, the connection between it, how it connects. Um, obviously, we know the pineal gland is the third eye, but they want you to know if you can elaborate on the correct functioning of that. Yes, well, I hope so. Uh, the um, What I tried to do in that chapter four of Dark Light Consciousness is called the eye evolution in the pineal gland. In the earlier chapters, I sort of outlined how the uh, uh, the process of melanin and neuromelanin contribute to the development of the uh, uh, the brain, brain stem, um, spinal cord, and so on, uh, from a purely medical point of view. And then in Chapter 4, uh, the eye, I've talked about the, literally the physical eye uh, and how it develops uh, not only in evolution, but also uh, the uh, function of the eye that is uh, the pineal gland. The, the pineal gland, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, is uh, what's called a, uh, a vestigial organ, but it's not really a vestigial organ. It's still very active. Um, Millions and millions of years ago in our evolution uh, uh, on the earth, the uh, pineal gland was actually much closer to the top of the uh, head and the skull. And then over evolution, it descended gradually over millions of years deeper and deeper into the center of the head. But it used to be an eye, literally an eye that, that reacted to light. Well, it has descended into the center of the head between the two uh, hemispheres of the brain, and but it is still sensitive to light. It is still sensitive to light and intimately associated with our hormonal cycles. And so at different times, the pineal gland uh, creates different phenomena and responds, a lot, responds to different phenomena. The pineal gland is a, sort of a, it's about the size of a pea. It's shaped like a cone. And believe it or not, when it gets stimulated, it stands up. It's, it's like it gets erect. It stands up. And it is swimming in the, in the uh, ventricles of the brain, when there are four of them, and they uh, are constantly moving, okay? If you can imagine a uh, boat on the ocean that is responding to all the waves intelligently of that ocean. It's a little bit like that for the pineal gland. And um, when that pineal gland is made to awaken, made to fully see, it literally sees uh, within. Uh, the great uh, 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 philosopher Rene Descartes, uh, who established the uh, Cartesian system uh, that is the foundation of, of modern uh, Western science, the foundation of modern Western science, he made the pineal gland the place where the spiritual world and the material world met. In yoga, uh, work and in the work of ancient Kemetic Egypt, the pineal gland is that place where, when it is awakened and stimulated, it begins to change our consciousness. Okay, so the pineal gland is literally a light, a, a, an eye, and like an eye, it responds to um, uh, stimulation of uh, light. Uh, 
there is a chap there is a um and it's not a chapter. There is a uh, statement made by no less of, uh, an astonishing figure than Jesus the Christ, who says, uh, when the eye is single, the body is full of light. Hmm? When the eye is single, the body is full of light. Well, that, that, that is a reference to when that, when that, when that eye is, made, is stimulated, is made to awaken, then it fills the whole body with an ineffable uh, internal light and energy. So there is another, that's a spiritual expression of what we're talking about also from a scientific point of view. So right. like in the ancient world, there's no separation between those two. There's no separation between those two. Well, essentially, in a nutshell, um, that's what I tried to do in that chapter four. And I, you know, there are plenty of anatomical maps of the human brain uh, in there and the specific location of the pineal gland and uh, how it is uh, stimulated and how its relationship to the other glands, particularly the, the uh, pituitary gland and other uh, glandular systems, um, or rather the glandular system throughout the uh, physical body. Uh, and in the last chapter, if I could just uh, for a second, in the last chapter, sure. I was talking about uh, and tried to describe as best I could different uh, spiritual techniques that stimulate that pineal gland, and there are. When the body is vibrating in a certain kind of way, either through uh, music, through singing, uh, through uh, coordinating uh, breathing and heart rate, uh, there are a number of different ways of doing it, but the, the, the waves in that inner ocean are made to, get, to synchronize. And when they do, they synchronize and stimulate that pineal gland to respond in a certain way. And when it does, it then affects the entire consciousness, hormonally and uh, otherwise. And right. so that, uh, and, and there are even techniques in yoga uh, for uh, physically stimulating the pineal gland, literally, by uh, certain kinds of um, uses of the tongue, essentially here, the tongue, the tongue uh, pushed on the soft upper palate of the mouth, doing certain kinds of very simple breathing techniques, with the eyes focused a certain kind of way. Uh, right. It's hard to sort of describe over the uh, radio phone here, but uh, I did uh, hopefully uh, describe that relatively well and give, uh, and give uh, accurate uh, physiological descriptions and images of how that happens. But, you know, this is, our, this is our birthright. This is really our birthright. This was practiced by the ancient uh, Dravidians uh, southern, of southern India, uh, by the Kemetic Egyptians, and all along the uh, east co uh, east coast of Africa, on the trade routes between India, for thousands upon thousands of years before anybody ever heard of anybody from Rome or Greece. Right. And in the, on that same note, this is a question actually coming from me because speaking of the pineal gland, and since we're talking about this topic real quick, and it's and it's operating at its correct capacity, I want to talk about because we know harmonics, sound, rhythm, music plays a key important element. It's a key function in the universe. How, what's the effect or, or what can the effect be of, of music in general? I know we can go to culturally to the drum or uh, other sounds or vibrations. Uh, how does the sound vibration and music uh, affect in a good and a bad way the pineal gland? Oh, it, uh, it uh, is a, a very powerful and potentially positive effect on the pineal gland 
when uh, the rhythms are deep and uh, steady and put the pineal gland in alignment with other, uh, or stimulate the pineal gland um, when those other rhythms are in alignment with each other. I'll give you an example. When there is a um, phenomenon called the Schumann resonance, and what that is is the electromagnetic uh, <clears throat> uh, waves bouncing from the surface of the Earth to the ionosphere and back down again and then back up again. That rhythm, as it goes around the planet, is in many, many, many different, um, uh, can be in many, many different rhythms. But when it hits that 7.8 hertz or cycles per second, 7.8 hertz, that is what's called a Schumann resonance. And that is literally the vibration of the Earth. Okay. Well, you can also get your heart rate sometimes to have a multiple of that 7.8 uh, Schumann resonance. And when you do, you go into very, very, very deep trance, very, very deep trance. And that will uh, profoundly affect the pineal gland and, uh, in a conscious way. Um, but also uh, the pineal gland uh, is affected uh, when we uh, go to sleep at night. You know, right. if you go to sleep at night and you're in a dark room, the pineal gland functions differently than when you're out in the middle of the day in the sun. Right. It's, it, 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 this is what it does. It, it, it functions in this particular uh, kind of way. But if the vibrations are literally uh, discordant and um, haphazard and uh, there's a lot of literally, quote, noise, unquote, and static, it can cause a discoordination, let's call it that, of the, of the pineal gland's effect, and so its effect is, is greatly reduced, okay? It doesn't necessarily destroy it or anything like that, but it's like it doesn't um, 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 use it to its fullest potential, whereas if you learn how to do that through prayer, meditation, whatever spiritual adaptation uh, or process that is uh, uh, indigenous to you, and you do that in the context of a healthy mind and basically a healthy body, you will find that your spiritual evolution continues along the pathway that uh, it's uh, meant to uh, do. And so what I simply try to do in dark light consciousness is give them, you know, again, the, the medical and scientific background for phenomena that folks have known about now for a long, 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 long time. Right. Uh and, and, and on that note, there's some people, uh, what they call ELS, extreme low frequencies. For somebody that may not, or most of us, sometimes we're, we're, not, we're not aware of or conscious of how this can affect us, what, what is the effect of some of these extreme low frequencies with technology and things of that nature? We know they exist. We know they're out there. Um, how does this affect us on a daily basis? We don't know completely because that, that information is not totally to the public. For those of you who may not be aware of it, uh, um, uh, extra-long frequency refers to uh, 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 waves of, uh, at very low frequency that are used mm-hmm. to carry information like radio waves. Right. And um, uh, they're used by the government uh, for reasons that we're not totally aware of. Uh, right. Uh, publicly right now, uh, and it's unclear how that affects uh, our consciousness. But we do know that it's been doing. Government has been working on this for a long, long time, and it's not clear what 
its purpose is. Some people think it's a an esoteric uh, kind of weapon. Some right. uh, fear it might be this or that. Uh, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, okay. Some speculations, but I wouldn't want to, since I don't really have any basis for my speculation other than my own uh, fantasies about it, it's probably best that I not put that out there. Right. Okay, appreciate that, Dr. Bottom. All right, let's go back to the phone, and then we'll go back online in a, in a moment. Uh, we have guest number 11. You're on the call, guest number 11. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Can you hear me? We can hear you loud and clear. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Bynum, go ahead. Uh, I do not, as I am. I'm just listening. Okay, no problem. We appreciate you tuning in and listening. Thanks. All right, thank you. All right, let's go to uh, skip and go to another call. We got uh, Big Kev87. You're on the call. Big Kev87, you're on the call. Hello? Yes, Big Kev87, you're on the call. If you got a question or a comment for Dr. Bynum, go ahead. Um, I just want to know um, what causes, what kind of frequencies to cause someone to become conscious uh, with, with without any of those things that you mentioned, just spontaneously. What, what, what can shake someone's consciousness to that level? Well, uh, if I understand, are you saying what? What can cause somebody's consciousness to shift from one plane to another? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, from one plane to another or someone that is not conscious and just becomes conscious. Well, it's it's rare that people are, are not conscious at all and then become conscious. Um, the mystery starts first in the uh, womb where um, after somewhere along the line of uh, in uh, – the mother's womb uh, from uh, perhaps as early as four or three or four months all the way, and certainly before birth, uh, consciousness as we think of it uh, manifests itself. It localizes itself in the mother's uh, womb. Uh, That's why we are conscious before we're born. But we just don't know how long we're conscious before we're born. But, But the child is not... Uh, get born and all of a sudden become conscious. No, 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 no. The child is conscious before it's born. Uh, That is a biological and a medical uh, and a scientific uh, reality. And what is also a medical, biological, and scientific reality is we we are also conscious for at least some period of time after we are physically dead. In other words, people have been flatlined, brain dead for a certain period of time and then have been revived by various medical techniques, and they tell us, they inform us of their conscious experience during that time that their heartbeat was not beating, and their brain uh, functions were flat, but they were conscious of a certain kind of phenomenon that's happening. And there are lots of books out there written by physicians these days. Even physicians are writing about their own experiences of this, let alone other people. So you see, we are conscious before we are physically born, and we're conscious for some time after we are physically uh, dead. So the beginning of human life, the beginning of consciousness is not birth, and the end of consciousness is not death. So really, consciousness underlies our experience of both birth and death, which more than strongly suggests to me that the real mystery is consciousness, that birth and death happen within the stream of long 
within the stream of life and consciousness. Birth and death happen within the stream of life and consciousness. Mm. Very powerful. Any other questions, Big Cap? Um, no, uh, I was just wanting to know. So, 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 is that with that statement being said, that is that means that is everyone conscious? Yes. Or is so is everybody's conscious? So, what you know, what is what is causing? For for those that are you know waking up or woken up and is realizing certain things because, um you know as you know, the more conscious you become and the more things that you start to be aware of is, you know and, and you start to tap into these, start to tap into these um different states of minds and you start to tap deeper into the subconscious mind, it is like what is causing, so if you I'm trying to ask is like, is it already predestined? for the certain amount of people to reach a certain amount of consciousness, or is this just the level that people are taking themselves to? Well, I think both. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you, you've experienced uh, in the last, probably the last uh, 24 hours, you've experienced at least three different states of consciousness. You experience the current wake, uh, waking state consciousness. You and I are talking on the, uh, on the phone and the radio right now, and we're asking questions and, 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 and all of that. So that's that state of consciousness. And then uh, you're going to go to sleep, hopefully, later tonight, and uh, you'll have a, uh, you know, a dream. And you'll be in that state of consciousness. You won't be this waking state, but you'll be conscious of a certain kind of dream phenomena. You may not be aware that you're dreaming, but you're having some sort of experience, consciousness. And then um, periodically and, uh, at night, in deep sleep without dreaming, deep sleep without dreaming, you're also conscious, but you're not conscious of, uh, of phenomena like you are in the waking state or in the dreaming state. It's a different kind of state of consciousness where there aren't as many objects in your sleep and there aren't, there's not as many words in, in it. It's more of a, of a, of a seamless feeling of uh, either uh, bliss or pleasure uh, sometimes, you know, anxiety. But the point is, it's a different kind of consciousness than when you're dreaming and a different kind of consciousness when you're awake. So those are three uh, common states of consciousness which you have, have experienced probably in the last 24 hours. But it is also possible within that to develop an awareness of other states of consciousness and to enter into them at will. It is not too difficult to enter into a state of consciousness through trance through hypnosis um, or uh, ecstatic experiences uh, through uh, spiritual techniques or, or drumming. Uh, uh, you were in a different state of consciousness when you were deliriously in love with someone. Okay? So there are all these different states, and you're in a different state of consciousness when your concentration is so intense and absorbed in something that you forget everything else that you're doing. Like if you were meditating on a... Um, mantra, you're praying very closely to your creator, and it's an enormously intimate uh, experience, and you're not aware of anything else going on. So that's another state of consciousness. So there are many different states of consciousness that you have access to, and some people uh, follow a particular discipline of their choice to enter into certain states of consciousness at will. They don't let them happen spontaneously. They do it intentionally. And that is what is generally referred to as meditation or prayer. 
Any other questions, Big Cap? No, thank you, man. I appreciate it. No, thank you no very problem. much. Thanks. No problem. Thanks for the call. Appreciate you listening, All right. Uh, a question from online, Dr. Bynum, uh, Sylvester357 asks about health and breath. Uh, in Chapter 9, I know we're jumping around a little bit. That's going to kind of happen when, when we open it up to questions. Uh, it says, being new to this, um, do you feel uh, that he, he or she uh, can control breathing on their own? Uh, yes. You, can, uh, you can't con- uh, completely and absolutely control breathing on your own, but you can certainly control right now certain parts of your breathing process. Um, and uh, the reason for that, uh, well, I'll give you an example. If you, if you inhale and hold your breath for 10 seconds, you're kind of controlling your breathing, okay? Uh, right. Um, so, there, yeah, so there are all kinds of ways to, to influence your breathing. What I was trying to talk about, and the person was referring to in Chapter 9, is about using the breath in the yogic tradition and the meditative tradition to influence your your physical metabolic functions, which in turn then affects your consciousness. In other words, uh, in many meditative uh, traditions, by learning how to breathe a certain kind of way intentionally, you affect the uh, the way that your consciousness uh, responds. I'll give you an example. Um, there's an intimate relationship between your air that you just inhale just like then, in your consciousness. And if you don't think that that's the case, uh, uh, stop breathing for 30 seconds and see what happens. You'll notice your consciousness begins to change. Okay? All right. So air is literally the most immediate energy exchange we have with the environment. You can go uh, a week or maybe even more uh, without eating any food um, you're feeling pretty lousy, but uh, you'll be okay. You can go two, three days without drinking any water, and you're feeling pretty lousy, um, but you can still kind of be okay if we get to you in time. Without air, you've got three minutes, okay? So it's your most immediate energy exchange with the environment. Well, within the uh, energy of, of respiration in the air is a way to influence the, shall we say, pulsation of your consciousness. And that's why the uh, yogis and and, uh, folks of ancient Kemet devised many different breathing patterns because they wanted to affect how the energy that is absorbed uh, in the uh, brain then affects consciousness. Like there's a common meditation, classical meditation in yoga, of uh, four, sixteen... Four, four. And what that means is, is a person might will inhale the breath a certain kind of way, with diaphragmatic breathing on a count of four, hold the breath for a count of sixteen, exhale the water, the air out, on a count of four again, and in some traditions, hold the breath outside of the body for another count of four, and then repeat that pattern again. What that will do is it'll create a certain way that your body, your in your brain, is metabolizing the air and the more subtle aspect of the air, which is the prana. Okay? A crude right. example a crude example is the food you eat. Okay? You wouldn't if you eat certain kinds of foods, uh, that'll either keep you healthy or make you pretty sick. Okay? Well so your food can affect your consciousness and your life and your experience. Okay. 
Well, think of that doing that with air and, and, and prana, but in more specific and more immediate kind of way. And you can enter into fairly uh, highly uh, complex and, and subtle but very clear states of consciousness by learning certain kind of breathing techniques uh, in conjunction with other postures and so forth. And you want to do that, of course, obviously, with a with a group of people and a trained uh, teacher and so forth. You don't want to be haphazard reckless about that, even though you read about it. But that's what the, it, there's a methodology. It's not random. There is a methodology to that. And it, uh, by breathing a certain kind of way, you can quiet your mind. There's certain techniques I outline in the book for quiet, for using the breath to quiet the mind. And when your mind is quiet, really quiet, it's like that analogy we had earlier of the uh, the eye being very quiet. You can then discern the patterns in the stars easier, right? Well, right. when your mind when your mind is very quiet, you can perceive what is below and beyond the mind much easier. How does it say in the New Testament? Be still and know that I am God. Hmm? Right. It's a similar kind of phenomena, and again, it has a it has a, a medical biological uh, basis. I, I would not, by any stretch of the imagination, reduce it to that. Please don't get me wrong about that. But it simply helps. It just helps the process along. Like a good diet helps health. <laughs> it's, it's, a, right. it's really that simple. Okay, appreciate that, Doctor Bynum. All right, let's go back to the phone. We got brother. Got Brother Jack now. We lost him earlier, much earlier. Brother Jack Charles from West Palm Beach. What's up, Brother Jack? Hello, Brother guys. Jack. What's up, man? How you doing, Jack? Doing good, doing good. How you doing, Doctor Bynum? I'm very good. How are you doing? Doing good. I'm doing well. Um, pretty much listening to the show tonight. Uh, what kind of question I have is pretty much when it comes to thoughts, right, and melanin. Like, what's the process? Like, is it like when it comes to thoughts and melon, like how does the process work when you like you receive a thought, you know, like you actually you're in yourself a question and you receive your thought, your intuition. What does the melon play into that, or does it really does it mainly play in just to, as far as meditation, or like what's the whole process from your research? Uh, well, uh, this may come as a surprise to you, but you know something, nobody really knows. We don't know how melon. We do not know how melon. Uh, either uh creates thoughts uh i doubt it does i think it's i think it is a a template for con- for con- uh uh conducting energy through our body but i don't think melanin creates thoughts at all i don't i don't at all it's uh mm. you know it, it it but it helps it move along it's like uh um it's like uh uh, the uh, the uh, the electrical uh, fixtures inside of a uh, you know a, a radio or a television set. It helps conduct the 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 information moving through the television or the radio or whatever it happens to be. It is it is literally the hardware, okay. But it is not the meaning of the message, okay. That you need to make it clear up because it. You know, uh, people, you know, there are folks running around thinking, you know, melanin is, is thought. Melanin is, no, 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 no. It is the energy substructure. It is, it is, the, it is the architecture that makes it possible. You, it's like, again, go back to the simple but crude analogy of, of, of the radio and the television. 
the hard wiring and stuff, the, the stuff that allows it to occur, that's what the, the melanin and the neuromelanin in different ways does. But they are not responsible for the message that comes through the radio or the television. They can make it clearer or they can make it obscure or they can, uh, by their absence, not have it come through at all. But they are not the message of the show. Understood. So pretty much you're saying that that's why I guess you stress the importance of pretty much, you know, exercise, diet, um, correct breathing. Because yeah. that pretty much enhances. Like, like, like you look at a TV, you can have a, like an old TV from the 90s where you had to press, you had, a, you had, a, you had like eight channels, and you have the HD channels now, or HD TVs now. It's pretty much enhancing your spirituality, pretty much you're saying. Exactly, 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 exactly. Got it. That's all. all right. That's that's uh, that's 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 good. That was good. Uh, good. Answer. I appreciate that, Doctor Vinyl. I appreciate you calling in. All right. Thanks for the call, Brother Jack. All right. All right. Uh, question from online, uh, Doctor Vinyl. Actually, f- before we go to the question, somebody just had a had a quick uh, question for you. Um, do you have um, any videos that physically demonstrate the postures and rituals that are done when meditating and astro planning? Astro planning. Do you have any videos? Uh, I, I have the videos that I have of be doing postures and stuff are taken from workshop that I've workshops that I've given. So they're my own, you know, copies of those uh, workshops. I don't have them like for presentation or anything. No, I don't. Uh, okay, so you don't. Okay, so you don't have any are, No, but there are a number of them that would be uh, you can order that would be uh, helpful. There's a um, uh, a uh, a series of tapes put out by um uh, uh I'm forgetting her name but she's in the uh, 3HO health uh Sikh tradition a woman I'm blocking on her name right now but there's also a very powerful um um a series of uh tapes and postures uh on uh, these yoga postures um put out by a very uh, good and very powerful uh, uh, teacher. His name is Mutwa Ab- uh, Ashby, last name spelled A-S-H-B-Y, first name mm-hmm. Muta, M-U-A-T-A. And he's written a number of books, Egyptian Book of the Dead, uh, Egyptian Yoga Exercise Book, Egyptian Yoga. Um, he has several uh, videotapes out. He's a uh, African-American uh, uh, with a yoga ashram in uh, in uh, Florida, but he has many many tapes that I would recommend. It's very and they're very specific about this. Okay, all right, appreciate that. So I hope that uh, online question or quick uh, reference uh, helps you. Uh, another question from online. Um, it says, uh, "Greetings, Dr. Bynum. You touch on conscious dreaming in the early chapters of the book. Um, how does the pineal gland or meditation assist with the awareness of this?" Uh, what the uh, when you are uh, uh, sleeping at night and uh, dreaming, the pineal gland is clearly active. It is secreting uh, different hormones, melatonin being one of them, uh, but others also um, that affect your uh, consciousness. And then when you train yourself to wake up while still dreaming, your pineal gland is is very active. It's very complex how that's happening, and no one knows uh, exactly in terms of uh, 
what you can say in terms of uh, uh, okay. exa- specific hormones. What we do know is that when we are dreaming, that the pineal gland is being stimulated and it is erect, and you also have uh, a, uh, a, a, believe it or not, a sexual erection, male and female, when you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. It is a physiological phenomenon. It's a physiological phenomenon. So your pineal gland is erect, and uh, your clitoris or your penis is also uh, tumescent. It is also somewhat erect. There are statues, hundreds and hundreds of statues, uh, in southern India, again, Dravidian India, um, that go back uh, thousands of years uh, before the common era, before Christ, that show these uh, yogis sitting in postures with long dreadlocks, uh, looking uh, like you know they're from Jamaica, uh, with the long dreadlocks yogis sitting on the skins, and they clearly are in yogic postures. They are clearly in states of deep meditation, uh, and they have a full erection. That shows the relationship between spiritual flight, the erection of the pineal gland, and the, the other physiological phenomena that are occurring in our dream states. Okay. So they're, all, they're all interwoven with each other. And, when you, and, you, and again, we have uh, the modern physiological uh, and medical data to substantiate that. We also have historical, architectural, and... Um, uh, sculptural work to uh, that, and we also have the, spirit, the spiritual uh, texts of ancient Kemet and um, uh, Kemetic Egypt and Dravidian India that testify to that. So the, 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 the data is there. The data is there. It's just okay. a matter of what you decide to do with it. All right. Appreciate that, Dr. Bynum. Uh, let's go back to the phone. We do have some more online questions. We're just going to kind of rotate back and forth. Let's go back to the uh, phone lines. we got a caller from Southwest Florida. Southwest Florida, you're on the call. Can you hear me? Southwest Florida. Are you there? Southwest Florida, you're on the call. Going once, going twice, going three times. All right, we're going to go to the next call. Again, remember, if your phone is on mute, you have to unmute it. Uh, you'll hear me, but I won't. You won't be able. We won't be able to hear you talk. All right. Uh, next call we got on the line is uh, Shango at Tomb Seven. You are on the call, Shango at Tomb Seven. Are you there, Shango? I'm here, brother. Peace. All right, peace, brother. You're on the call. If you got a question or a comment for Dr. Bynum, go ahead. No, sir. I appreciate Dr. Bonner being in line. He is definitely hitting everything right in the head, and uh, I, I have I have no questions. I'm just soaking it all in. I appreciate it. No problem. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you listening, and 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 I hope that uh, I I hope that you you know uh, you tell other folks because this is sort of an underground thing at this point, and I don't know why it continues to be sort of a kind of an underground thing. Uh, I mean, it has a you know solid scientific and medical basis, but a you know, folks are still kind of nervous about uh, talking about it. And yet, this is this is our uh, this is our inheritance, you know. And it doesn't belong to anybody; it belongs to everybody. Yes, sir. And I mm-hmm. I will do my part to get this word out. I appreciate it. I appreciate right. you. All right. And and uh, I believe I said this uh, on a previous show, Doctor Biden. You know, I I believe why it's still underground, and and just in my experiences and talking with people over the years, and you know, not being mainstream. I think I think people get a little lost. And again, this is just me speaking my opinion. I'm not I'm not speaking uh, you know for you or any of the listeners. 
I just think sometimes people don't know how to connect the scientific and the medical aspect with the spirituality. I think the reason why it's, if you don't have that experience, and I think you bring that experience factor in it, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to obtain, you know, the spiritual knowledge and the cultural knowledge. Um, but sometimes you need, unfortunately, you got to have, well, not unfortunately, but you need somebody qualified that can, uh, you know, that scientific and medical expertise. So I, I, this is just my opinion from talking with people and the feedback that I've gotten. It's because like I say, the thing that's baffling to me is, so many people have heard about your book, but yet so many people don't really talk about it. And that's why I've drawn that conclusion because it's kind of like, you know, you get this certain reaction like, yeah, I mean, I, all my all the guests we've had on this show are very familiar with your work. Um, we've had Brother Panic on here, Dr. Jewel Pulkram, Dr. Delbert Blair, Phil Valentine. I mean, they're all familiar with your work. Um, it's just the, the, the feedback that I get, I just think, it's kind of that thing where, you know, if you're not familiar with it, then it doesn't may not tie into what you're dealing with. I think it kind of stays on that level for that reason. So just wanted to throw that in. And, again, that's just my own personal opinion. Again, I'm not speaking for you or for any of the listeners. Um, but I just wanted to throw that comment in there. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, so let's go back. Uh, we have a couple more questions online. Again, we'll try to get to all these questions. We have about 15 to 20 minutes left with Dr. Bynum. So if we do not get to your question tonight, don't be disappointed. Uh, Dr. Bynum usually comes back every five to six weeks or so. So I'm, I'm sure when he's available again, we'll get him back on the show. But we'll try our best to get through as many questions as we can tonight because I see you guys are lighting up the board uh, with questions. Uh, this question comes from Nikidra, if I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, the question is, before he Really getting involved in my spiritual work, I dream often and remembered the dreams the next day and, and often experienced sleep paralysis. Now, I haven't been able to remember my dreams and don't experience the same things. Is there anything you can do uh, to enhance that? Uh, just, uh, just referring to a little bit of sleep paralysis, which is natural to happen. Sleep paralysis is when your body gets uh, rigid when you are uh, asleep and uh, dreaming, especially. And it, that has to be that way because uh, if you're dreaming of, uh, I'll say, running through the woods, uh, your body has to be uh, uh, paralyzed because you can't afford to be walking around in your bedroom or going outside and running in the woods. Okay, right. So it's it's a natural uh, thing. Um, some people experience sleep paralysis however, uh, in the twilight state. In other words, they are, um, they are in between waking and sleeping. And so their body is paralyzed, but, uh, but they are conscious and they're dreaming. And that's right. an in interesting and unusual state. And in West Africa, they say that, uh, you know, quote, the witches are riding you, unquote, in that state. And what's happening right. there is that your uh, consciousness is, again, like one of the people phoned in earlier saying, you know, you've entered one of those uh, twilight states of consciousness uh, that's usually skipped over very quickly most of the time. But it is another state of consciousness in which your uh, energy body or astral body, there are different names for it, or light body, is uh, very active and moving, uh, but your physical body is uh, frozen. And um, unless you know what you're doing, it, feels, it can feel a little uh, uncomfortable. Um, uh, but one of the things to, uh, to, to bring your memory back, um, 
is uh, to tell yourself, I'm going to begin to recall my dreams. And then, and then, get yourself a notebook, put it right beside your bed. And when you wake up in the morning, whatever comment, thought, whatever you had, just write it down very briefly, very briefly. You'll find so kind of keep first, a dream. I'm sorry, yeah. Dr. Biden, to keep it like a dream journal, you're saying. A dream journal. And at first, you won't have anything to put in it. But if you stay with it and keep telling yourself, I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember, you break through the repression and you learn how to, to do it. It's like any other skill. And it will begin to come in bits and pieces, bits and pieces, bits and pieces. And then the whole dream starts eventually coming back. I remember very funny, uh, vividly, I had this experience when I was in uh, college. Before I went to college and in and, and my early days in college, I would dream all the time and I'd remember all kinds of dreams and everything else like that. And then in my, uh, I think it was my junior year in college, I said, okay, Bruce, it's time to start doing a real scientific study of your dreams. So I'm going to start writing my dreams down and analyzing them, and not simply remembering, but analyzing them and subjecting them to uh, you know, a meaningful reflection. Well, as soon as I did that, I didn't have a dream I remembered for about six months. Wow. The repression, the repression just set right in. But I, I kind of sensed what that was about, and so I continued to do it, continued to do it, and then after about six months or so, my dreams started coming back in fragmentary forms. And then within about uh, three months or so after that, the dreams are back in full-fledged. Mm. So that was, just, that was just my self-censoring that happened. And so you might find you have a similar experience like that because you, uh, you know, you're saying, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to do something with these dreams. And, you know, part of you may not want to. We have to acknowledge that we have... You know, we're human. We have different conflicts in different areas that uh, we know about, different areas we don't know about. And so, uh, but we can train ourselves. You can train yourself. Just like you can train yourself to stimulate uh, different uh, hormonal systems in your body through various uh, eating uh, certain kinds of foods and so forth, but certain kinds of spiritual practices for stimulating the glandular system, particularly the uh, pineal gland with certain techniques and of focusing the eyes and, and breathing in certain kinds of ways. You can do that with your dream states. You can do that with others. The human brain and the human mind is very mm, plastic. In other words, it's very malleable. You know, it's not it's not a rigidly frozen situation. And that's good because that allows evolution to continue to uh, evolve and, and, and flow uh, through us. Right. Okay. Now, just to back up for a quick second, when you mentioned earlier a dream journal, um, how does the subconscious mind or the superconscious mind, I should say, um, I notice, and I'm speaking this from personal experience, how does the mind function in this capacity? Because sometimes you might have a dream, say, say tonight, and three, four months later, you might have a dream that connects to the dream you had three, four months ago. Right. Um, how does that work? I mean, because we know when dealing when when dealing on that type of level, time really is irrelevant in essence. But th- I bring that up because I always tell people that maybe can't recall their dreams. That's why I believe it's one important aspect to keep that dream journal because sometimes the dream may not pan out at the time you have it, but you might have a dream two, three months later that connects, and then you go, oh, wow, that's what that meant, right. you know, when, when you have that dream. So how, what is the mind's process going through when things like that happen? I know other than a forgetful state, but like what, 
that gap that's kind of created, or, or is it really just an illusion? It's not even really a gap. It's just you're training the mind to kind of, I guess, remember. But I, I notice how sometimes that'll connect. So it's very important in that aspect to keep a dream journal. Right. It's very important to keep a uh, some some record of, of of your experience that that is objective or, or somewhat outside of you. And a dream journal is is the simplest and, and cheapest and, and and the best way to to uh, do that. But you can have a dream and. Uh, be be sort of like bewildered about what it might mean. You sense, you feel that this is important, but for the life of me, I can't figure out exactly why right now, but you know it is. And then it goes into your memory banks, and then uh, sometime uh, later, you uh, have an experience, either another dreaming experience or a waking state experience that connects to, uh, that, uh, to that dream. And you sort of put them together, and you go, ah, and then you have that moment of insight. Uh, in the unconscious, there's no time in the unconscious. There's no time in the unconscious, uh, which is why you can go to sleep and tonight dream of um, of, uh, of some time when you were in high school, but yet when you were in high school, uh, one of your grandparents uh, shows up and is uh, a teacher who then uh, uh, gives you uh, lunch and then uh, you open your lunchbox, and um, there is a uh, a car or something that you've always kind of wanted. I mean, you know, it's a dream. But in right. that dream, in that dream, you brought together your own ancient history, i.e., your grandparent, with something that happened to you in high school. Okay. Right. So time can be uh, distorted, condensed, switched around. And past can become future, and future can become past. And that can occur in a dream. Right. It can also occur, by the way, a simple phenomenon of of, uh, of the arrow of time, it's called. They can go both ways. Some phenomena in uh, the microscopic world of quantum mechanics uh, reflect the same kind of process. So, you know, in a very interesting sort of way, we construct the concept or the uh, or the phenomenon of time. We do. When children are, are infants, they don't have any concept of time. You have to right. construct it. Right. Psychologists like Piaget and others showed us how children construct the notion of time, how they construct the notion of causality. You have to create it, you see. You have to discover it or create it. You don't have it when you, when you first come out of the womb. That's right. <laughs> you That's don't. True. And time, as we know, is something that we all kind of agree on. Right. There's no, there's no objective time. It's something we all agree on. And, and then we hold fast to it, and after a while we forget that we kind of agreed upon it. It's very, it's very symbolic. It's a little bit like uh, <laughs> it's a little bit like money. Right. You know, we all agree that the paper means this. It doesn't objectively mean that. We just all agree. Right. <laughs> or else, or, or else, the whole thing falls apart, right? Big time, big time, <laughs> big time. Oh well, same thing with time. <laughs> Good point. All right, let's try to just squeeze two more questions in for you, Doctor Bynum. We got a few more minutes before we let you go. Uh, let's see if we can get one more phone question and then one more online question. Uh, again, if I know a lot of people came in over the last hour and some chains, unfortunately, we won't be able to get to everybody tonight. 
But again, um, if you've been here before, you know, we usually get Dr. Bynum on every four to six weeks or so whenever he's able to come on. So I'm sure he'll be back again. So I just want to let everybody know that. Don't be disappointed. Unfortunately, there's too many listeners and callers to get everybody in one night, and we just try to go right in order as as you come in and as you're on the queue system. So I don't want to think – I don't want anybody to think that we uh, have not been able to get to them or we're skipping them. We're just going right in order. Um, so if you don't get your question answered this time, save those questions, write them down, um, and the next time we get Dr. Bynum on the show, uh, we'll answer those questions for you. All right, we have a caller on the phone from – Florida Panhandle, you're on the phone. Florida Panhandle, can you hear me? Hello, Florida Panhandle, you're on the call. Can you hear me? Going once, going twice, going three times, Florida Panhandle. All right, let's skip that one. All right, let's go back online. Um, Let me scroll up here, see if I can go in order, make sure I don't skip nobody here. All right, question is from Lady Dragoness. Um, Dr. Bynum, do you have any video? Oh, uh, Lady Dragoness, he answered this earlier. I don't know if you heard. Uh, I don't know if you stepped away. He answered earlier about uh, videos physically demonstrating the postures and rituals that are done uh, when meditating and, and things of that nature. Um, do you want to give that? Do you remember that source you, you quoted, uh, Dr. Bynum? Yes, as I said, I, I, I have some my own, but, they're, but they are tapes of when I've given uh, – talks and demonstrations uh, and seminars. So they're just like in my own, uh, you know, uh, private library. But there are some tapes done by um, a yogi named uh, Mutwa Ashby, last name spelled A-S-H-B-Y, first name Muta, M-U-A-T-A. And he had done uh, books on Egyptian yoga, um, Kundalini yoga, uh, he shows the postures. Uh, he's very specific about it. He's very good. His books are right available. The, the, the tapes are available. And he's right there at an ashram, I forget exactly where, in uh, Florida. Uh, plus also, um, there is uh, someone, uh, he, he has, uh, as I said, the video um, uh, uh, DVDs of this available to anyone who uh, would uh, want to do that. Um, and I would uh, strongly recommend it. And uh, from him, uh, there are others. There's um, um, a, uh, another uh, African-American yogi um, called uh, Yasir Rahotep, Yasir, Y-I-R-S-E-R, Rahotep, and mm-hmm. he's done the similar ones uh, with the yoga postures. He's very specific, and he demonstrates that on uh, the DVDs. So those are the two I would recommend. Uh, again, they come out of the Kemetic Egyptian, African-American, uh, Southern India tradition. And uh, it's very, very specific, very tactile, and they give wonderful explanations. So they're, Okay. They're, they're, I'm so glad le- uh, uh, folks are tuning into this because there are resources out there that we have in the community, and it's just a matter of tuning into it. And I'm, I feel very good that, it, it, you know, the, the, the walls are beginning to break down because um, so much of this work is uh, so important to so many of us. And, um, you know, uh, it's so profound, and, and yet it's not expensive. <laughs> you know? Right. It's right. not expensive. 
Um, Good point. The wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of our ancestors for thousands of years is available to us if you will make yourself um, open to it. And I'm not talking about the last 3,000 years. I'm talking about the knowledge of civilizations that were active and highly evolved 10,500 years before Christ. You know that time 10,500 years uh, before Christ when the uh, sphinx of ancient Kemetic Egypt looked uh, on the on the spring day, the vernal equinox, into Leo the lion on the vernal equinox, 10,500 B.C. Not in the Pyramid Age of 2,500 B.C., but back then, Zeptepi, the time, the splendid time of the first time. This is how far back it goes. This is how far back it goes. Kemet has been was the guardian of the ancient mysteries for 10,000 years from the fall of whatever that civilization before it was there. And so I'm just simply uh, trying to tune us into that and, and almost pleading with folks to turn your attention to that. There is a right. genius there that will simply blow your socks off if you will not be intimidated by it and um, give yourself over to a not only a, a spiritual study of it, but also a scientific uh, medical study of it. And you don't have to have advanced degrees to do it. All you have to do is have an open mind. Right. We appreciate that, Dr. Bynum. Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and stop there, but just also some people are typing in, maybe if it's something down the road, a lot of people are suggesting maybe a thought for you, maybe down the road, they would definitely be interested in maybe some demonstration videos by you. Um, I know you've mentioned other people, but it seems like there's a, there's a growing interest tonight. Um, multiple people typing that in that they would definitely be interested in possibly down the road seeing you do some demonstration videos. So just wanted to pass that, pass that information along to you. Um, but again, as usual, we, we do appreciate you coming on and, and definitely taking two hours of your time uh, to spend with us. And it's, it's always a privilege to have you here. Um, again, if you weren't on in the beginning of the show, if you want to know where you can go get a lot of Dr. Bynum's books and works, you can go directly to the publisher's website, uh, intertraditions.com. Uh, just about all of Dr. Bynum's books are available. Um, you can also, for those that the digital downloads, um, Several of his books are available on Kindle. Amazon has some of them for download. You can also get hard copies on Amazon, eBay. Um, so his books are definitely easily accessible. And, again, um, the, the website again, uh, Dr. Bynum, you said, uh, I believe, uh, give it the full website again for those that might not have heard yeah. it in the beginning. This is my, my particular website is www.obeliskfoundation, literally www.ob. E L I S Q U E Foundation, like the obelisk, obeliskfoundation.com. Or again, if you just, you know, you just, uh, you know, the Google, Google my uh, name and just mess around with the internet a little bit. Sooner or later, it'll show up. But obeliskfoundation.com. And All right. again, and again, that goes in directions. Uh, that we haven't been able to talk about because uh, I have a number of articles uh, there uh, on, on different aspects of health, on, on sleep, dreaming, the brain, um, right. 
all those kinds of things also that we just haven't had a chance to talk about because we've been focusing primarily on dark light consciousness, which I greatly appreciate. Most definitely, but yeah, maybe we can incorporate some of that information the next time you're able to come on. Another quick, just one last quick question: Do you still do any live lectures, Doctor Bynum, or you kind of don't really do that anymore? I only do that occasionally. I've been I'm, my my energy now is more in toward uh, the writing. I'm I'm believe it or not, I you know I told myself um, the last time that was my last book, and here I am uh, in the middle of trying of slowly <laughs> beginning to focus on something else. So I you know. Uh, so I, I, I am I am writing that now, and um, I only you know I only have so much energy. I'm you know, I got you. so I've, no, got, I've got to figure out where where am I going to commit my energies? You know, um, definitely. Well, you're having you're having a great effect on multiple people all over the all over the planet. I'm sure you're aware of it. Uh, it's, it's definitely we're we're taking it from from out of the underground and we're bringing it to the surface. Well, I appreciate uh, but again, that. No problem. We appreciate you coming on, and I'll uh, definitely uh, be in touch with you. Uh, we'll we'll check your schedule down the road when you're able to come come join us again. And as usual, always a pleasure to have you uh, coming on. And thanks for joining us. All right, I appreciate the time to be able to talk to people and reach out and and and, and hopefully make myself a little clearer and get people's no feedback. Definitely. Thank you, Doctor Bynum. Thank you. All right. All right, listen, stick around. We're going to be on on with the after show for a little bit, so don't go anywhere. Um, let me make sure I have my brothers with me. I know I got Ravana Noon here, brother Sargidi. Uh, you still there, or brother Sar? You still there? I don't know what he's doing. Oh yeah, I'm here. All right, man. Wake up, man. Just throw some cold water on your face, there, brother. Always sleeping. <laughs> I'm here, brother. All right, just checking on you, man. I know you had to step away earlier. All right. Uh, so, uh, brother Ravana Noon. I know you're there, brother. So another another powerful show with Dr. Bynum. Uh, I don't know if you want to give a little feedback, a little commentary. Go ahead, brother. Uh, well, you know, he's always uh, sharing his insight from his studies and his uh, research. Uh, it's important because people really have to understand that without the work, it doesn't really matter what you read. It doesn't matter how much you read it. If you're not applying it, information and the time will become useless information. So, you know, always uh keep in mind that he writes books, he shares information, but he's really trying to uh promote applying the information. That's why he has many chapters dedicated to actually doing the work. Not just talking about melanin and neuromelanin and anything else. But he's really giving you applications to apply to see how this really works in your life. I think um, it's important that we pay attention to that part um, and not just so much the information, but how to apply the information. Excellent point. And that's the key, like you said, and, and that's something that we always talk about is is most definitely doing the work and applying the principles. Obviously, it goes more in-depth to reading about it. And, and, again, one good thing about Dr. Bynum's book, um, which we, we've talked about periodically here and there, and, again, it's hard to get through the whole whole thing, obviously, because it's a very vast book. And we, we, we only went through periodic portions of the first portion of the book. Um, but, again, uh, there's exercises and, and, and demonstrations and, and things of that nature that you can most definitely do. And I think that's, that's also an aspect of doing the work. Um, 
very, very important. Um, so most definitely we want to make sure uh, people are aware of that. So very important moving forward. Um, so let's uh, go ahead and uh, move in. Uh, just real quick, if you were uh, on the show last week, uh, for those that I announced this earlier, and uh, we have a lot more people in here now. Uh, last week we had Dr. Jewel Pulkram on. We, we had her connected in the earlier portion of the show. We, she had issues with her phone, um, but I spoke to her a couple of days after the show, and uh, she uh, apologized for that. You know, a lot of people had tuned in to listen to her. Um, we, we have a reschedule to come on on uh, Thursday, September 3rd. So we're going to try it again. She's been on the show before. that We were trying to get her back on the second time, and she was going to uh, build on the seven circuits of the brain. And we were going to get in the depth of her breakdown on that and some of the things that she's up to and, and that she's doing right now. And uh, she's, she's, again, another phenomenal scholar we got amongst us, uh, probably one of the most intelligent females in, in, our, in our damn time, uh, who another individual, I believe, doesn't get the credit uh, you know, that, that she deserves. And again, she's another doctor in the medical field and she brings that uh, similar perspective like Dr. Bynum, but as usual, um, you know, for whatever reasons, I, again, my personal opinion, I just think sometimes when it conflicts with certain people's ideology, they don't want to discuss it um, because science and, you know, science and math doesn't lie. You can't, you can't manipulate that. Um, you, you could, again, you could talk about history, you could talk about culture and philosophy. That can, be, that can pretty much be debated all day and all night. Um, not saying um, it can't be, uh, science can't be debated, but you, you're a little bit more limited when debating scientific facts. Um, so, you know, very, very important, I think, for us to grasp, uh, uh, to understand. So what, what I want to talk about now is let's kind of prep for next week's show. Um, we're going to talk to Brother Panic next week, um, and we're going to be dealing with reprogramming the subconscious mind and contacting the master with N. Let's bring in. Let me get you a take on that, Brother Ravana. Let's kind of let's kind of let's kind of touch on that for a little bit moving forward for the for the next hour. So, um, what exactly is you? We we talk about the trauma in the subconscious mind, and and the master within. Let's build on that for a little bit. Sure. Well. Um... A lot of people do not understand, I don't think, all the time. Many do listen to the show, but some others don't. That subconscious mind in actuality usually creates your reality. So whatever it is that's in your subconscious mind is really what's creating your reality in your existence. It's based upon your thought process. So when you are, let's say, thinking consciously, well, I'm I'm going to focus on positive thoughts. I'm such a good person. I'm only going to do positive things or things of that nature. And yet and still you end up in negative situations or predicaments. Why is that? Well, that is because in your subconscious mind you have been programmed through life experiences, family, different situations occurring where you ended up developing a negative mindset where you right. started seeing life as as a um, a negative thing. And in turn, that started to skew your vision and your perception of life. 
So your conscious mind wants all this positive energy, positive thought, positive everything, but your subconscious is actually destructive and negative. And what you're really putting out into the universe, I'd say, is your subconscious mind has the thoughts and the power behind it is what is really manifesting into the universe. So that's what you're bringing into your life. That reality is being created by those thoughts. And in order to really master your life, bring that inner master forward, you have to really take the time to deal with the shadow self, the dark self, mm. the, the side of ourselves that we are afraid to tap into and deal with. It's understandable in a society and a world where it seems like everything is focused on negativity, focused on death, destruction, chaos. It is only understandable why people would seek that. But what they don't understand is if you don't deal with that side of yourself, it's not going to go away. It never goes away. It only is suppressed, repressed, and then comes forth with renewed power and strength. Eventually, it hurts you even more. Right. So to really get deep into that, you have to really tap into that side of yourself. You have to really deal with your right. quirks, your perversions, your hidden desires, your anger, your uh, weaknesses, your, you know, uh, what you, anything that you feel that you suppressed or buried or swept under the rug, you have to really tap into that in dealing with that. Right. On this show, we've given many aspects, whether it's, you know, doing certain meditations where you can tap into the subconscious mind. There's uh, certain rituals that you can do to tap into the subconscious mind. Whatever the case is, it is important to deal with that because without dealing with that aspect, you can pretty much uh, find it difficult to master yourself. And any spiritual work you do, you a lot of times meet obstructions, obstacles, or blockages along the path. Right. And that's because we are afraid to deal with that side of ourselves. Right. So we have to really understand that when Brother Panic comes on the show next week, and we're going to allude to that as a, as a prelude to that show next week, is that the subconscious mind is that aspect that creates your reality, and you cannot be afraid to deal with it. Right. And you point. have to go into it, because without right. it, you know, you're, 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 put it this way, you can't be a pussy on this spiritual path, period. No, it's an excellent, excellent point. And we were talking about this uh, earlier today, Ravana uh, Noon. Um, excellent point. Um, I'm going to touch on something that Brother Jack typed in in a minute, which I think is, is very important, what we're talking about. We were talking about earlier, uh, the last time Panic was on the show, which I thought was important. He, made, he, he said something to show you how that subconscious mind works. We were talking about it earlier. Uh, for an example, people that are spiritually conscious now or or you know, claim that title because they might be studying comedic sciences, et cetera, African history, or taking on different uh, spiritual systems, et cetera. Um, 
say majority of these people came from per se maybe a monotheistic background could be Islam, Christianity, Judaism, etc. Um, Panic made a statement and he said it's it's more than just renouncing it verbally. Okay, you can just say, well, yeah, I'm done with that false belief system. But Panic made a statement. I want to touch on that for a little bit. He he said you have to address per se that previous religion you left because it goes deeper than just renouncing it verbally meaning you have to go into the mind and address the impacts that it's had on you for for a multitude of years that you might have been involved in that system so let's let's build on that a little bit because me and you were talking earlier we firsthand can attest to people for an example that leave these faith-based systems and go into some of these cultural systems but they still view it through the eyes of faith and belief or religion so let's, let's build on that a little bit Right. Well, let me put it this way. I have a a friend, I will not call his name out for not putting anybody on the spot, but I'll put it this way. He was a Christian beforehand and became a Nawapian and then everything else. Eventually, he feels he found his path dealing with Yoruba, Santeria, Lakumi, whatever name floats your boat at the end of the day. The West African tradition. Right. Fortunately, he went into this path and he still has the same mindset that he had within Christianity and the Wapen. Right. And what I mean by that is they'll praise, let's say, Oshun or Obatala and they'll say, oh, Obatala saved me. He showed me the way. He enlightened me. He he gave me this, he gave me that. That's as bad as saying Jesus did all that for you. See, we don't see that or understand that at that moment because when we're into this, we're like so blind by the emotional high we feel because I have this African tradition or this spiritual tradition that is rooted in my culture. But if you're still viewing it from Christian eyes, Christian heart, and what you're really doing is you're basically replacing the angels, let's say, or Yeshua, Jesus, Isa, whatever, with Obatala. So it makes no difference if you call him Obatala, Yeshua. You're basically still viewing it from the same mindset. You're still viewing it from the same mentality because the subconscious mind is focused on replacing one thing for another because of your conditioning. Right. So I think that's an excellent point, man. That's, a, that's an excellent point. Um, so, so it's deeper. And we've talked about, like you just said earlier, Ravana Noon, on, on previous shows, addressing, you know, your traumas or, or addressing. When we say trauma, let's, let's be clear. People hear that word and they think of something you know, traumatic. We're not just talking about in that sense. We're talking about trauma can can be uh, on all different levels. Don't don't look at it at, in the literal sense. When we're saying so, you know subconsciously, we're saying things that impact you that you're not conscious of. So look at it in that light, and we and we explain thoroughly multiple times how to go and address those issues, how to tap into the subconscious mind, and how you need to address those issues. So let me add let me add on to that, brother. Go ahead, brother. Oh, he's awake. <laughs> I've been awake. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought, yeah, I thought he stepped up again. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. 
And now another another example of that is as we we sort of stated in other shows in previous shows, like for example, um, you have the first stages of your life, you know, from zero to twelve years. I mean, zero to from zero to twelve months. That that first stage of your life is where you're you're developing you're developing your root chakra, and you're developing you know your survival instincts and things of that nature. And many don't understand how this can affect you on a mental or spiritual level. It's pretty much if you don't develop right in that in that in those first 12 months, you will have problems ground, grounding yourself later on in your life, even in your spiritual path. You'll be a little spacey that you, you say, kind of spacey. Right. The first, you know, and also the first stage is also the oral stage. And babies, you see them putting, putting things in their mouth because that's the first stage. That's the first stage of your development, you're learning how to move your mouth. You, you, you're drinking breast milk. Things that things of survival. You're learning to survive. Right. The second, the second stage is from age, ages three to six. And this is the stage where you start playing with your, you know, your genitals. If you ever pay attention to the babies, or the young ones at that age, some, they're, they're playing with them. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, if you notice, they'll, yeah, you'll catch them playing with their little genitals and stuff. And this is this second stage is is also this is called the sexual stage, the sexual development stage. You know, also this dealing with the navel chakra. The first was the root chakra. The second is the navel chakra. And in the second stage, if you didn't develop properly, when you get older, when when you turn 12, when you're a preteen, you may not be interested in sex the way that you're supposed to be at that age because you didn't properly develop between three and six years. You didn't develop that connection with your, your genitals and stuff. That's that's important. Now, now speaking on that, this kind of ties in. This is a really good question, man. Uh, Dre Dove types online. Online. Um, I think this is a really important question. Uh, all right, so it says, how does one clear old painful things that have happened in the past but still come to your mind regularly and your mind holds on to? Uh, let me scroll down. It continues on. And your mind, hold on, I lost it. And your, oh, that your mind holds on to, and then he goes on to say, at the bottom here, I would like to move past these things, but I feel blocked and trapped in past trauma. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of people that deal with that on a consistent basis. Now, when we mentioned, and, I, and then, brothers, we could all touch on this because this is very important. When we mentioned addressing your trauma issues, let me give you an example. Uh, going back to those moments in time in your subconscious mind, here's one method. There's not one particular method. But I can tell you, I can tell you, uh, this is one aspect that is very powerful and can work. Uh, say for an example, there's a certain thing that or incident that took place in your life. We use something basic, 
just to create the metaphor, say say you were bullied as a kid or uh, Brother Ravana Noon had talked about one time you were out on the basketball court and, uh, you know, you may not have gotten that open shot or you might have been overlooked and, you know, you may not have realized at the moment what type of impact that had on your, on your personality, your nature, and your mentality, but it definitely has an effect on the mental. Um, now, what you can do, one thing I find is by tapping into the subconscious mind, and we use some, we use some uh, exercises you could actually do to, to get into that portion of the brain where you could actually go back to that moment, visualize it again, but yet visualize a different outcome. This literally changes the effect that it has on you moving forward. Now, I know this is powerful from experience and from, and from research and from talking with other people. Um, I find that that's a very powerful method, and I'm sure the brothers can share some other methods with you. Um, but one thing you, you definitely want to do is tap into that subconscious mind, um, get yourself in a position as you tap into it, train yourself to go back, uh, you know, in that moment. And whatever incident, especially if it's one that you're aware of, um, it's one thing when you're not aware of it because you got to do two steps. You got to go back into the subconscious and you have to lift up things that you may not be aware of, a thought that did not have an effect, uh, you know, on you. Now, I see some people saying typing in certain issues from the adolescence. So this, this method would definitely apply. I definitely would recommend people to visualize that, that specific incident that took place, maybe that they were younger, that they can't get by, and go back in that situation and what it is that's bothering you about it. See if you can change the outcome of it by, by visualizing the different outcome, the positive outcome, the outcome that you wanted to happen that didn't happen. Um, so that's kind of a very positive method for issues that you're conscious of. Now, issues that you're not conscious of, um, when we gave you the exercise of the uh, downward winding staircase, how to get your mind, there are very many different uh, exercises you can do, um, and that's more geared towards maybe awakening things in the subconscious that you were not conscious of or you may have thought didn't have an impact on you, but they did. So I think you need to – it's a case-by-case situation. You kind of got to address it based on – are we talking about things that we're aware of and we're not sure, which some people are saying, and then some people are saying things that they are conscious of that happened when they were younger. So I think based on those two principles alone will kind of determine, you know, the best way. But you definitely need to address that trauma, especially if you, you're, you're confirming that it's blocking you. So most definitely you have to definitely address that, and especially due to the fact that you're conscious of it, because if you don't, You'll constantly have that blockage there. Um, you know, the root chakra won't work correctly, uh, let alone people always talking about the pineal gland or the, or the, or the crown chakra. Um, it's, it's irrelevant. You know, the pineal gland can't function at its full capacity if the root chakra isn't. We did a whole show on that a few weeks back. We did the importance of root chakra and magic, uh, magic in the sense of manipulating the elements, because if the root chakra isn't functioning correctly, Forget about, again, dealing. People, people want to bypass that, and they want to go straight to the pineal gland. Now, we know if the pineal gland is not functioning at its correct capacity, and we've talked about decalcification, we've talked about alpha brain waves not functioning correctly, not be able, being able to sending and receiving the signals. Now, remember something Dr. Bynum mentioned tonight. Um, he, he, he clearly made it clear when he was talking about the neuromelanin. It's an energy conductor. And that, in turn, confirmed what Dr. Jewel Pukram said on the show, 
when she was here last that it's a manifestation of the electromagnetic spectrum. So this, this all ties in. This is important. So you have the ability to receive this consciousness. You have the ability to absorb this energy. Remember, the energy was referred to as a light. Melanin is a whole light. It, it, it is an entity that receives this light or this knowledge. It opens you up to receptivity. So this is, this is very important to understand, and, and it all kind of connects with taking that process to dig into the subconscious mind. Now, again, next week we're going to really get into detail with it because, uh, remember, next week's show is entitled uh, Reprogramming the Subconscious Mind and Contacting the Master Within. So the answers lie within you. And by all means, there's no outside source that can help you with this. You can read a million books. You can follow a billion teachers and, and gurus. Um, and that's just going to be a roadmap. Nobody can literally take you by the hand and fix this for you. The only person that can do that is you. And this is what people fail to understand. Um, and I'm not saying uh, to you, Dre Dove, I'm just speaking in general right now. Uh, unfortunately, what have I, I found out in my experiences with this, people want people to do the work for them. And I'm speaking in general now. Uh, unfortunately, people, some people are under the illusion, you know, that they think they're going to read a book and find some great secret in there. Or they think they're going to they're latch on to some teacher or some organization or some group, and they think that that individual or group of individuals is, is going to take them to the promised land. Not realizing all the self, that the true master within that exists and is always there, is really all you need. But the bigger question is how do you tap into that divinity? And that's what this is kind of about. That's what we're kind of talking on. So that trauma will block that, that awareness. Uh, the very fact that you recognize it, it, it is key. So you know it's there. Um, so I don't know if any brothers want to chime in on that. I think this is a really good question. Sure. Um, first of all, uh, we have to identify what the trauma is. Now, you don't have to tell anybody but those who you trust or, you know, just identify it for yourself. But first you have to identify the trauma. A lot of times uh, we block it. We black it out sometimes of our memory. I'm, pa I'm speaking from personal experience on some of these things. So, uh, right. yes, yeah, sometimes we block it or, you know, we, we, we just bury it so deep within our mind because the, tr the traumatic event was so uh, impactful in our life that we don't want to have to deal with or recall it on a consistent basis. So first right. you have to really identify what the trauma was, okay, mm -hmm. because this trauma created um, your core belief in your life. And I'll give you an example. You can be a person, let's say, who experienced uh, abuse, for example. We're going to touch on the topic a little harder than normal because I think people really need to understand this, so just bear with it. But let's say you've been abused, and this abuse only was dished out to you but was not dished out to your other siblings. This can create a core belief that you're not worthy, that you're not um, a good person, that you're evil, that you're all these things that we can conjure up in our minds, you create. And then that mindset, that core belief about ourselves creates many core issues. And what I mean by core issues, there's basic core issues. There's acceptance. There's, belie uh, there's belongingness. There's power. There's control, 
and there's love. That's the five basic, most rooted uh, core issues that people usually have that is created around the trauma. So when, let's say, because of your abuse, you felt you weren't worthy, this created a belief and then this issue surrounded and created was to be accepted or belonging to something, which also compounds love. I, wanna, I want love. So now we tend to do the extreme, even the absurd, seeking that which is lacking in our life. We will do absurd activities or uh, behavior just to seek that which we have lacked or feel we've lacked all of our lives. So now we created this core issues that now dictates your behavioral pattern on almost every aspect of your life. So you're in a relationship, let's say, male or female, and you will do anything for you to feel like your mate is accepting you. You want to do anything to be accepted by your mate. You will even sell yourself short just to be accepted by your mate because this is so much of an issue in your life and we don't realize it many times because this is really playing out in your subconscious mind a lot of times. We, we seek it so much that we lose ourselves in a relationship. And because of that fact, you lose yourself in a relationship, you lose you, who you are, and in the process, this is even more detrimental. Because now in a relationship, you will stand and take the same abuse, just it's not physical now, it's verbal. You will stand and take the same abuse, verbal abuse, that was dished out to you as a youth and not even realizing that it's happening again. Because this issue has played out so much in your life. So what you have to do is identify these things, then identify what issues are really predominant in your life? In my life, I had power and control issues because of things that happened in my life. So power and control was a very deep issue in my life, and I always felt like I had to have some control of my life or all control of my life and, and had to have my power back. And I felt that whenever that was threatened, I would become quickly angry and sometimes even physically confrontational, okay? Yeah. So because of that, I had to learn that once I identified these things, then I had to identify were my thoughts rational or irrational. What I mean by irrational is everybody's out to get me. Bullshit. Everybody's not out to get you. However, because of our core issues, we feel that everybody's out to get us. So now look at how much we've compounded something that started as a youth in our later life. So now what happens? What happens is that now we create this whole behavioral pattern where we're um, very confrontational, we're very uh, we're easily agitated, and these things can continue manifesting itself. So once you identify these things, then you can identify if your thoughts are rational or irrational in the moment. Remember, one of the greatest things I ever learned in my journeys throughout different spiritual systems, philosophies, whatever, is that 
you have to understand that your behavior is about yourself and somebody else's behavior is about them. And we repeat that. Your behavior is about you and their behavior is about them. The minute you react to their behavior and give in to their behavior, you have now become their servant and they have become your master. Always stay in control and realize that sometimes you don't have to react to the stupidity of somebody else because that's their issue, not yours. You also have to realize that if I'm reacting, is that an irrational thought or a rational thought? Right. Nine times out of ten, it's an irrational thought. That's why you're behaving the way you're behaving. So when you deal with these aspects, now what's next? Go into deep meditation and face those damn demons that were created since childhood around this whole core belief and core issues in your life. Face it head on. You may go into meditation or be in a dream state and you see demons popping up. No, they're not demons like in Hollywood movies or horror movies or anything else. These demons are really rooted within your subconscious mind and these attributes in your subconscious mind, you created images around them that became so horrific so that you basically ran from yourself. A lot of times these demons are you facing yourself. This is why in horror movies, in the movie, main character is always having to confront the monster or the demon at the end of the movie. Why is that? Because the monster or the demon in that horror movie usually was created by that person. So now they have to confront it because they're confronting themselves, their lower selves, their shadow self, their dark self, and they have to overcome that aspect. But you cannot overcome it unless you admit that it's there and then confront it and then do the work, whether it's meditation, doing affirmations, doing certain uh, spiritual other work, whether it's chakra work, crystal work. You have to get into that aspect because if you don't, these things will still continue to manifest and still continue to control your life. And no matter how spiritual you get, no matter how many magic rituals you do, no matter how many, how much kundalini yoga you try, it never seems to get to the level you want it to. And that is because you are the blockage that is causing it from really working. And that is why we go into this in great detail on the show because we, a lot of the brothers on the show know firsthand from personal experience what it's like to have all this profound so-called profound knowledge and information but can't do a damn thing with it because you never applied it. You just sound deep, you run at the mouth, but you are still messed up. You still don't have a place to live. You're still moving from house to house, staying from friend to friend's house, getting kicked out, living on the street, whatever the case is, but you want to call yourself God. You want to call yourself king, but you're broke. You don't have nothing to do, nothing to give and nothing to share, but you're God. And that's because, really, the people who most proclaim these words and titles are the ones who most need the assistance and help 
within themselves to fix themselves. But people don't steer them in that right direction. They leech off of these kind of people. They feed off of them and empower themselves and steal their money without people even realizing they're being raped right there in front of their face. So we have to really get deep into that aspect because when you get into that real work, that real quote work, you can't be a pussy on the path. Because if you're afraid to meet yourself, your demons, shadows, and darker side self, you don't need to do this work. You need to just run back to Jesus and have a good old time praying in the church and, and wearing a mask as if nothing ever happened. That's, that's critical. Now, these two questions, uh, Brother Romano, and I want to I kind of tie these in. It's two different people, but they kind of connected uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm going to address this first, and if you want to build on it, or if Sargidi wants to give some input on it. Um, Brother Jack had typed in earlier, and uh, also um, Almighty Bajina typed in. Uh, we'll, we'll touch, we touched a few weeks ago on the binaural beats and the hemisync. Uh, so, and Brother Jack types in how he was able to have some success reprogramming the subconscious mind through music, and he used an instrument that has an effect on him, the clarinet. I want to talk about this because this is super. I mean, this this is a topic we can do in itself, so uh, I, I want to touch on some key elements of it, all right? Music and harmonics, and I think we were having this discussion not too long ago, is the key. Music and, and, and harmonics is the very core and fabric or glue that keeps the universe intact, okay? This is very important because music, sound, and vibration has a tremendous effect on us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, you even heard earlier Dr. Bynum touching on certain sounds and vibrations, and that's why I had asked him, uh, one of the questions I had asked him when he was here was the effect it can have, for, per se, for an example, on the pineal gland. Um, I can take an instrument, for an example, outside of the drum, which uh, certain frequencies, deeper bass sounds, uh, have have a certain effect on me as far as dealing with the drum, but also an instrument called the Armenian Daduk, which if you've ever heard that instrument, it it almost sounds like in essence that it's speaking, um, but it carries a certain pitch and frequency that kind of resonates through the soul. So this is important to understand because they know, when I say they know, I'm saying the intellects that be, Know this because this is why if you listened, and I refer and I would re- recommend you go listen to a show we did with Brother Panic uh, a little while back when we were talking about hip hop music and the effect it has on the subconscious mind. Uh, people don't realize all the sounds, and Dr. Bynum touched on it a little bit. He said every sound and vibration has an effect on you, whether you're aware of it or not. So when you're ingesting certain sounds and frequencies, and you're listening per se, to some of this horrible music that they got out there right now, and you hear us clown around about it all the time, but it's computerized beats. Now, remember, these go, for those, this might get a little more technical if you've never been in a studio and never worked equipment or never worked certain um, M1 Korgs, SP1200s, beat machines, drum machines, computers, you may not be familiar with this aspect. But everything is captured on a four-bar measure. That four-bar measure goes in sequence with the rhythm of your heart. Now, I want to say this because this is important. You've got to understand, when certain individuals, for an example, reflect on this, and we talked about this on the show, and I'm going to tie it in kind of what Jack was saying about the clarinet. 
it kind of has an effect on you where it can change your train of thought and take you to a whole different mind state. Uh, you can listen to some music, for an example. Uh, it can be slow music or R&B music. It, it has a certain tranquil effect on you. It takes you to a certain place. You can listen to, say, aggressive gangster rap music. It changes your energy. Uh, people will listen to it, become more aggressive. That confirms that the music has an effect on your vibrations and your emotions. That, that's, that's a give me. Now, the problem is, in some of these unnatural beats, because they're computerized, like when you look at it as a whole, we know there's really no true groups out there anymore with technology. We know this. The only artists that stand the test of time are people that can write music and, and, and play instruments. This is why people like Stevie Wonder are timeless. They've been around forever. Uh, you know, um, Patti LaBelle, uh, the list goes on and on. Most of these individuals stay around what seems like for an eternity because they actually can play live music. It's not, it's not computerized garbage. Now we're getting a bunch of computerized garbage by a bunch of demons called Little Wayne. I mean, you look at the dude, he looks like a demon. You know, he looks like a, I don't even want to get into it, but Brother Panic had broke that down too. And listen to the speed of the music, the sounds that they're using, the pitches that they're using. And here's the deep thing, not just what they're saying, but listen to the pitch of their voice and how it flows over the track. This is all strategically done to incite a certain frequency in you, to stimulate you, and sometimes not for the best. This is why, you know, we say this because we're, you know, we talk about the old school a lot, and we understand it's a different era, it's a different time, things have changed, but we're not, we're not attacking it from the change of times. We're saying when you look at it from a scientific perspective, look how the music has changed from that level and the effect it has. It's actually regressing people. Because look at these young kids walking around and their pants is falling down off their ass. And they can't even walk because they got their pants sagging off their ass. Now, this is not nothing new. This is something that was being done long, long time ago. But you see the effect. It's, it's taking them back to a mind state where it's not, it, it's not unlocking, or I should say it's blocking those frequencies where they're able to receive that consciousness. Now, you have to dig deeper into this because it gets a little more scientific. So this has an effect on every aspect, whether you're conscious of it or not. Now, the hemisync that we mentioned a few weeks back, we talked about hemisync and binaural beats. Um, so definitely certain instruments, certain sounds are definitely going to have effects on you, good and bad. Certain music can take you to certain places. Like we said, when you hear the music, we talked about this one time before, you can hear a song, um, and, we, and we actually did, uh, you know, we used a little example on this. You can hear a song that you might have heard 10 years ago. You can name the song. You can clearly remember where you were, what you were wearing, what you had on that day, who you were with, what the weather was, what time of year it was. That's the power of music because the, the vibration and the sound of it activates a certain mental frequency where it literally takes you back to that moment in time where you're actually there, therefore breaking the barrier of time, which time is an illusion. So that's the power of sound and music. That's literally what you're doing. When you hear a song, how many of us do it when they hear a song? Oh, man, I love this song. I remember this song. Bam. Instamatically, the mind goes back to that point in time. So that's the power of the sound and vibration. Now, when we were talking about the hemi-sync and the binaural beats, okay, uh, again, you can purchase these CDs. You can, you can Google it. Um, you can go on to YouTube. There's, there's many different free hemi-sync. Hemi -sync, binaural beats. Um, the importance of that, the reason why that works, it's a good tool, 
and again, there's no right or wrong way. It's a good tool because what that does is it stimulates two different states, theta and beta, and it also helps the alpha brain waves function on a correct level. And as we talked about on the last show, and the brothers, I know we're going we're gonna to touch on it a little bit more, it, it helps the full capacity of those brain waves to function. It's, it's been known to confirm by experience by the individual that it enhances their spiritual consciousness called the sound and the vibration. It reprograms certain chakra points. It reprograms certain aspects of the brain. Um, you just have to find the pitch and the sound that you're looking for. Now, there's many different sounds and pitches. Um, they have some for sleeping. They have, you can do some for walking, meditating, contemplative meditation. Um, so there's various different things. Um, when working with the binaural beats. Now, I, and I know my brothers that are on the call have, have used it and have had positive results. I can attest to it. I use it consistently and definitely have positive results from it. So that connection of music and sound, um, it, it all ties in. It's definitely connected. And we have to be conscious of that. So if you think that listening to bad music doesn't have an effect on, on calcifying your pineal gland or not making that root chakra work, you're completely wrong. So it is important what you listen to, what you ingest, and that's why I'm always highly critical of the music because I hear some of the shit, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, this, I mean, some of them, you can't even understand what they're saying, but I'm not focused just on what they're saying. I'm listening to the pitch and how it's going in sync with the beat, et cetera. This is all done intentionally, whether you're aware of it or not. So I don't know if you brothers want to add to that. Go ahead. Sure, brother. Sure, brother. Sure, brother. Sure. All right. Anyways, uh, let me share this. This is from the book called Chakra Frequencies, Tantra of Sound by Jonathan Goldman. People don't have it. Get it. Let me just share this part. In chapter two, in the beginning, the power of sound. Sound is a unifying aspect of Tantra. Now, let me break down Tantra. If you look at the root word of Tantra, it really deals with continuum or unifying aspect of, of, of time and life, okay? So, sound is a unifying aspect of Tantra, the web that connects all existence. Sound is the source of all being. Vibration is the basis of all reality. If you examine the basic tenets of the various religions and mystical paths on this planet, they all have awareness that sound is the principal creative force in the universe. Let me repeat that. Sound is the principal creative force in the universe. Now, this is important to understand because sound is in everything you do, from the way you breathe to the way you eat, when do you not make sound? That's what I really want people to think about it. When are you not making sound? People will say, well, in meditation, while you're breathing in meditation, you're still making a sound. Sound is constant. Sound is constantly there because it's a continuum. It never stops. However, what's important to understand about sound is that has been proven scientifically proven that sound can alter your DNA. It literally can alter your DNA. So as Brother Benito was sharing, if if you're listening to garbage music, then what is happening to your DNA? 
it's becoming toxic. It's becoming poisonous. It's becoming uh, destructive. And if you don't think that these uh, intellectual elites know that, then you're fooling yourself. Of course they know that. They know that sound is with everything. Sound is a part of all existence. So if you understand this fact, then you understand that when you uh, utilize sound in in a more uh, empowering manner, then you will understand how to empower yourself through sound. One of the most important things you can do is to create your own mantra, not other people's mantras, but also start to create your own mantras. Create your own mantras because that is coming from your inner being and it is what your DNA, it is what your inner self, the spirit is saying you need to realign yourself. Now, what's funny is, and that token, never believe anybody that tells you that they know your tone. Nobody knows your tone, vibration, or frequency. Only you know it. That's right. And if you believe that somebody has that all answer to everybody's tone, vibration, and frequency, you deserve to be smacked. Exactly. Not once, not twice, but nine times. Nine to the ninth hour. No, I'm sorry. Anyway, so <laughs> you need to be smacked because you really have to understand that your sound is only your sound, and nobody else has your sound. I'll give you an example. I got my DNA done through 23andMe.com. They actually have a rhythm of your DNA, how your DNA sounds, like the actual rhythm it makes. And my DNA rhythm sounds different than anybody else's I heard because yours is unique to yourself. You're a unique vibratory being. So your DNA sound is going to be different than anybody else's. As you learn this and you create your own mantras or sounds, you activate greater parts of yourself. So understand that you can love hip-hop to death. Personally, me, in this day and time, I stopped listening to this new shit years ago. It doesn't move me. It doesn't vibe with me. And personally, I think it's a bunch of garbage. But that's just my opinion. You're going to like what you're going to like, and you're entitled to like what you like. But if you like what you like, understand it. Don't just like it. Understand it. Why do you like it? What is the sounds, the rhythms, vibrations? How is it created? What's it doing to you? Understand these things. Don't just be a follower. Be a scientist over your own life. Because when you get this book, Chakra Frequency, Answer of Sound, he goes deeply into how sound affects every part of you from cymatic all the way to brainwave and how brainwaves are affected by sound, which is why we always recommend hemi-sync because it actually alters your brainwave and it actually increases the brain capacity. So these things are important because, you know, we get on social media and all these different avenues and all we do day and night is talk about this, that, crap, this, history, this, that, this, that. You can see that people are not doing the work. It's easy to see that. 
because they spend day and night complaining about somebody else doing this, that, or that to them or the whole world. Or they can talk about, oh, well, you know, in Africa we used to wear naturals. Yeah, that's freaking lovely. But how is that affecting change in your life? It's affecting the outer appearance, which is step one. Step one, I admit, it will be identity. But that's a small part of your transformation. And if you just stay stuck there, sorry, you ain't getting nowhere. You're going to keep staying stuck right there. And so on this path, you have to know every aspect of how your life is being affected from the sound you listen to, from the food you eat, from the air you breathe. You have to utilize every aspect of it. Because if you don't get it, Somebody will get it for you, and they will control you and manipulate you. You best believe that. So that's all I wanted to say about that. No, definitely. that, brother. All right, so I think what we're going to do is I think we've kind of give you a prelude to what we're going to talk about next week. Um, I think we've ingested a lot of information tonight, and part of this process, too, is uh, speaking of ingesting information, uh, that's another problem people have. They can't stay focused. Some people are all over the place, and before they've even mastered a certain level of information, they're trying to dabble in the next aspect of it. It doesn't mean you can't do multiple things at multiple times, but you have to be capable of doing that. I've seen people who have convinced themselves that they're capable of doing that, but they're not getting the benefits, and, and they're not. And how you know that, you say, well, how do I know that? When you're not getting the results, that's a that's a clue that you need to go back and reevaluate what you're doing because you're doing something wrong. Um, so you have to be cautious because how many of us know people that are dabbling in everything but yet get nothing out of it? So what is that confirming, that there's some disconnect there, there's some imbalancement there that you're not addressing, and that's creating that blockage? And it could be a multitude of things that we've talked about in the last hour. Um, so it's very, very important. Um, so, again, I think we're going to leave it at that for now because um, we're going to have a long show next week. As you know, when Brother Panic is here, I don't, I don't mean this as a joke, pack a lunch, because, you know, that show goes till they kick us off the air, literally. It's usually a five-hour show, and he has not done a show less than that with us. So I've had people bug out, leave, and come back on at 1 o'clock in the morning like, you guys are still here. Yes, we're still here. Um, that's the type of show we do when we go in hard. So next week, again, Brother Panic will be on. Uh, topic is going to be reprogramming the subconscious mind and contacting the master within. And that's sure that's going to be very detailed. Uh, we're kind of going to be getting uh, in depth and, and digging a little further than what we got into tonight. And again, as a reminder, for those that tuned in last week uh, and we had the technical difficulties with Dr. Jewel Pulkram, we had her on in the very beginning of the show, then we lost her. She, uh, again, I spoke with her. And she apologized. She was having problems with her cell phone, where she was at the time, and we were having problems connecting her in. So we have rescheduled her to come back on September 3rd, and we'll have that posted on the website. Um, I've, we've already put it on there. I know Brother Ravana Noon has it up on the uh, Awakening Universal Minds Facebook page. Um, so you can definitely check that out there uh, for upcoming shows and guests. And then after Dr. Jewel, we're going to do a couple of shows after that ourselves on some topics we're going to select. Uh, and then we'll go from there. So, brother, if you want to go ahead and uh, uh, see, we got brother Saw back. We want to just go ahead and uh, brother Saw. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give a little closing statement and your contact information? Peace. This is brother Saw Gideon, and my um, 
contact information is Asari Gidi on Facebook, A-U-S-A-R-G-H-E-D-E, Asari Gidi. And my email is a-n-dot-w-a-r, the number 16, at yahoo.com. So if you guys want to contact me, contact me through those two avenues. All right. Appreciate that, Brother Sar. Uh, Brother Ravana Noon. Um, everybody, you can reach me at Ravana Noon, R-A-B-A-N-A-N-U-N. Uh, that's Ravana Noon on Facebook. And Ravana Noon at Outlook.com. You can reach me there. Once again, our, our Facebook page is Awakening Universal Mind. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, leave them on that page and we will get back to you. And if you have any suggestions for topics you would like us to discuss and go into, or any guests you would like us to try to bring on the show, uh, you can do that on that page. And to leave you with one last thought, you are the master of your own, over your own destiny. So begin mastering it. Peace. Most definitely. Most definitely. All right, and you guys know how to get in contact with me. Uh, email address is khnum19 at gmail.com. That's khnum19 at gmail.com. Again, as, as the brother said, definitely check out our Facebook page for the show, Awakening the Universal Minds. has all the latest updates on there, upcoming guests, uh, commentary. Uh, Ravana Noon is constantly updating the site on a daily basis. He constantly puts uh, new pieces of information on there. So definitely check that out. Uh, and, again, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for a show, definitely go to the page and uh, throw some suggestions at us. We're definitely open to it. You can also catch me on YouTube. I know some of the people that listen to the show are here because of the YouTube channel. I appreciate you listening on YouTube and coming here. Uh, you can go to, again, on YouTube, Mother Nubia INC, and there's about 40 videos on there now. I put one up a week on various topics. Um, you could also go to the Mother Nubia Inc. Google page where all the shows are archived. We put every show up there on a weekly basis. You can definitely go there and check those out. Um, and obviously our own personal uh, Facebook page for the show. Again, don't forget to check that out for all the latest updates. So again, we want to thank Dr. Bynum again for coming on this evening. As usual, appreciate it. If uh, you missed him or you didn't get a chance to get your question answered tonight, obviously two hours. Uh, you know, we can't get to everybody. We had a lot of people in here tonight um, as far as questions were concerned. So keep those questions for our future show. And definitely prepare for next week, Brother Panic. We'll be here live. And like I said, that will be a four- or five-hour show. So uh, make sure you got something to eat. Make sure you're rested. Because as you know, Brother Panic goes in deep. So, again, we want to thank everybody for joining us. And we will see you next week on the show. Peace. Peace. Hey.